0: in a world one topic three podcasters is it a frankensteinian
1: episode
0: or maybe just a single theme on hmp horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies Happy Halloween from Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is our Halloween 2016 celebration episode, guys. You feeling it? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Everybody busting out the streamers? (laughs) Wow. So. so.
2: (laughs) If it was was a few hours earlier, maybe we'd be busting
0: out the streamers. All right. So on Horror Movie Podcast, we typically... Have a bi weekly show that's released every other Friday, except in October when we bring you weekly releases to celebrate Halloween. And this is one of our themed episodes. It's the second part, and what we're guessing will be at least a three-part series. So you're listening to episode 102, the 80s slasher film movement, 1982 to 1983. And on a horror movie podcast, you hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co host tonight are
2: Dave Dr. Becker from just outside Philadelphia
1: pa and wolfman josh and jay meet me at the waterfront after the social (laughs) all
0: right (laughs) oh thank you i'll consider it tonight we want to welcome back a very special guest we enjoyed so much having him on the show actually got a lot of comments from listeners about how much they enjoyed having him he is a celebrity in the horror podcasting realm he is the original creepsure he is the Southern gentleman. He is the host of Land of the Creeps. Welcome back, Greg Amortis. Jay
3: of the Dead. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for all the kind words. I swear to God, I felt like a celebrity and I'm not. So it was awesome. <laughs> I was like, hey,
4: somebody likes me. <laughs>
0: for certain. And Allison with the Y said to tell yeah. you, hey back. <laughs> oh, oh. So. Well, hey Allison,
3: with a Y, hey you girl. Yeah. That's right, <laughs> married woman.
1: Let's let's get that straight. Yeah, okay. We're sorry,
3: she straight just okay. had
1: her uh, two year anniversary, I believe, last week. So,
3: well, happy anniversary! I yeah. will say that straight up. Way to go!
0: Yeah, that's wonderful news. And uh, she actually she sent in her list. She had posted her slasher list way before in the comments, and so um a lot of them that were on her list are things that we've already covered we'll be getting to mm-hmm. her her slashers that we're s- still about to cover but Allison did throw out one that I think we may not have mentioned last time and that was strange behavior aka dead kids
2: uh, you guys know, yeah,
0: that, know that that's one?
2: that's an australian one
0: i think hmm yeah i don't know it's from I like think, 1981 I think it is. yeah yeah so good one allison
2: i might be wrong but i thought it was good
0: job, yep. okay. all right so Anyways, guys, uh, happy Halloween. Just real quick, since this is our Halloween episode for the year, um, tell us what you're going to be doing to celebrate Halloween. Let's start with you, Greg Amortis.
3: Uh, Well, Saturday the 29th, I will be going to that Halloween bash at the Myers House NC, but for Halloween itself, it's going to be an all-day marathon, man. I'm going to start with number one and try to get through all the Halloweens I possibly can get through. <laughs> Ritual.
0: <laughs> nice. What time of day do you start it?
3: As soon as my eyes open up and I'm able to get to the Blu-ray DVD player. <laughs> all
0: right. That's, that's a great tradition. Will you, will you hand out candy that night while you have Halloween I'm- on in the background?
3: I would if anybody would ever come to the Mortis house, but nobody ever comes knocking on my door for some reason. I don't know. It's not hard. I don't have hard candy in a padded white van, so I don't know what's up.
0: <laughs> it could be that life-size Michael Myers standing on your porch, maybe. But
3: it <laughs> uh, could be, could be or out in the background. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I, honestly a nice guy. I don't know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: you are.
3: Hey. More candy for me, Jay.
0: <laughs> That's right, buddy. So, Wolfman, Josh, I, I I suspect you'll be doing something similar to what I'll be doing. What are you going to be doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got little kids, so, you know, we're doing a whole rigmarole for about four days in a row here, it looks like. Um, <laughs> they've got, like, a Halloween party they need to attend on Friday night, and then there's some kind of, like, uh, recreation center Halloween thing going on on Saturday, and... And then on actually on Halloween, be taking them out trick-or-treating. And uh, we usually go to our old neighborhood where we actually like everybody. And then we also (laughs) go to our new neighborhood where (laughs) we don't like anybody. (laughs) But we're trying to get to know people. And um, I don't know. That's fun. I really like going to our old neighborhood. It's, you know, the houses are a little bit older. Everything's a little bit spookier and overgrown. Um, We've got some good friends down there who – their tradition rather than giving out candy is they have a bonfire in their front yard and they make they let everyone who comes to their house cook hot dogs so they've got like a whole hot dog situation going on there and they make their own <laughs> sauerkraut and that's pretty fun like they have a big bonfire and roast the hot dog on on Halloween so Um, but yeah, just the trick or treating thing. And my, my thing is the weekend that weekend is going to be all mine for whatever horror movies I want to watch. But on Halloween day, yeah, I'm probably going to be watching or rewatching the new ghostbusters movie with my kids. So Mm -hmm. that's That's where, that's where it's at.
0: That's a good choice. And I'm, I'm going to be trick or treating with my kids as well. I have little kids. I just showed my son the other night I showed him the village which I know Ooh. Greg Amortis doesn't appreciate that film, but I, w- I don't hold <laughs> that against him. It is is—it is my all-time favorite movie. I don't care what people say. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Um, I, you know, I, I'm actually going to be, if I can find the time ever, I'm going to be writing a review to try to tell people why it's so awesome. But anyways, after seeing that, my son wanted to dress up like those we don't speak of. But um, so he's oh, really nice. really tempted by that. And then I'm kind of like leaning that way. But anyway, so, and probably that night after the kids go to bed, like usually we'll watch a Universal Monsters thing when we get in from trick-or-treating and tallying the candy and such. We'll watch yes. like Dracula or, um, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, something like that. But then when they go to bed, I'm going to do The Descent. I've been thinking about that movie Ooh. a lot lately and I love it. It's one of my all-time favorites, The Descent. Nice. what about you, Dr. Sure. Shock?
2: Uh, well, normally I would be watching um, House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's Rejects, but my guess is I'm just going to be uh, because I'm working 5 a.m. to 1:30 on Halloween. So I'll come home, take a little nap, and I'm probably just going to—I um, don't know—I'm just going to watch the uh, <laughs> watch the movies for the blog, get the writing done, and uh, um, my wife handles handing out the candy. She gets dressed up in you know in a costume, she goes out and sits out front. So, the kids don't ever ring the doorbell. She's just sitting out front um, giving out the candy because that's what we sort of a tradition. I live in one of those neighborhoods where there are always young, new young kids coming in. Mm-hmm. So, we always get hundreds of kids um, every mm-hmm. Halloween. Um, so, and I never get bothered by a single one of them. <laughs>
4: every, now,
2: every now and again, every now and again, like some some parent will take the kids out during the day. And the doorbell will ring, you know, before before my wife's ready to go out there. Um, but not often. Okay. And then I could just sit in here and do what I got to do. Um, and then, uh, but I would, this would be probably the first year in a while that I haven't um, watched those two movies. Mm. Yeah. But I'll get something. I'll do something. Hopefully I'll get the one done and written and then I'll be able to pop something else in there. Maybe, uh, you know, there's this one disc in the Bella Lugosi collection that has... Um, uh, the Black Cat, The Raven, and Murders in the Room War Just boom, 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 and you can play all three of them in a row. Maybe I'll just sort of have that on in the background if if I get everything done in time.
0: Nice, okay. And I remember you started working uh, Trick or Treat, Mike Doherty's Trick or Treat into your rotation as well. Sometimes.
2: Yes, um. I did. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch that one this year either. Unfortunately, I am having fun with the Thirty One Days of Horror though. Yeah. Like, like getting into all these new movies and everything that. Some I haven't seen before, and some that I've uh, like I'm seeing in uh, again, um, and uh, and noticing different things. So it's it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. It's Something I want to do every year.
0: Good time. So listeners, let us know in the comments what you're going to be doing on Halloween, and um, hopefully maybe you'll listen to horror movie podcast a little bit if you can fit it in, or Land of the Creeps, in fact. Yeah, right, there you go. <laughs>
3: we're right. actually going to release episode one forty seven will come out on Halloween Day. We're going to release it a day early so it will be out.
0: Nice. Nice. OK, there you go. All right. So um, for the agenda for this episode, just to give you an overview of what we're going to do, we're going to have our concept discussion tonight. We're going to talk a little more about the anatomy of the slasher convention, and then we'll go into um, the years nineteen eighty two and nineteen eighty three. Much like we did in our previous episode when we covered 80 and 81. And we'll talk about some of the listeners. They gave us a little bit of feedback on these as well. And then we'll bring you, in the midst of those, four feature reviews. the Films that we picked that we wanted to cover from those two years. And we'll be updating you on the next phase of uh, HMP Slasher Madness. Brought to you by Kagan Breitenbach. And then we'll call it a night. So... Does that sound good to everybody? Does to me. Okay. okay. Works for
2: me. Yeah.
0: All right yeah. then. So uh, let's talk about the way a slasher film is built, if you guys don't mind. Now I am the kind of guy um I, I once read a quote, man, I wish I had that here with me. I should have thought of this ahead of time. But uh th- there was like a, a drama critic or uh, I don't think it was a film critic, but it was somebody a little loftier <laughs> who, who said something like you know, the trick to reviewing plays is to, um, I guess, take apart to kind of do surgery on the patient without killing the patient. And and I think there's some truth to that. And then with horror, I, I like to a lot of times try to analyze why it's scary or how it's built or how it works. And that's what we tend to do on this podcast, or at least we try to. So let's talk a little bit about the way a Slasher is built. And Greg Amortis. Of all the people I know, like you and Bill Shetty are probably the two biggest slasher fans that I'm aware of. Um, what do you have to say about the, the structure of the slasher? Yo. Uh,
3: <laughs> that's a shout out to my buddy Bill. I actually talked to him about a week ago. <laughs> nice. uh, um, first time I talked to him in years, guys. Love Bill Shetty. But uh, anyway, uh, building it up, I guess, are you talking about just the whole structure, starting it out?
0: Yeah, kind of like um, like what are your favorite conventions or aspects of the slasher film? Like what what do you like that you keep seeing, or or why do you love slashers? That that's like a recurring theme yeah. in those.
3: Well, I think it's the innocence of of the movie itself. You always have the good versus evil kind of thing, almost like if you took the um, supernatural or even the exorcist style films where you always had God versus devil kind of scenario. Well, much like that with a slasher film, what I loved was that you always had the, the heron, the girl, or typically a girl, 99.9% of the time, it was always the virgin. It was always the, you know, the good girl. And you always pitted her against, you know, an evil guy. Now, whether it was somebody that was dead or whether it was somebody, you know, that was resurrected or whether it was a normal serial killer kind of killer, it didn't matter. But you always had that good girl pitted against bad guy and are they going to survive? And I always loved the uniqueness of how they would do the, the structure was always the same. You always had, you know, if you were having sex or if you were doing drugs or if you were, you know, promiscuous or whatever. You were going to die in the movie. You knew that. Mm-hmm. They were your body counts. But what I always loved was the cat and mouse of, is th- is this girl going to survive? You know what I mean? Is it, yeah. I don't, it, it's that innocence of taking that one little female that you said had no chance in in Hades to survive and watching her survive, you know, survive this maniac killer. But what I always drew to was the the killer himself i always love to kind of not put myself in that position but to take me because i'm a nice dude i I really am i don't (laughs) like well i'll kill a fly obviously or a mosquito or something but i don't like to harm animals or anything like that so obviously i'm not a killer per se But it's time for me to get out of my shell and put myself there and say, how would I run down these victims? If I was going to kill somebody, what would I do? What kind of tools would I use? And you always got to see all these cool blades, whether it was a saw or a (laughs) chainsaw or a pitchfork or an axe. Or gosh, it, it didn't matter. I mean, it was just that whole cat and mouse thing. And I always loved that. It was always that suspense build, you know, the way they would start it out with your innocence and finding out who these people are. And then all of a sudden the dum, 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 dum moments start coming in. You see the killer and it's a hunt down throughout. And I don't know. I just always ate that up. And then of course the blood was always a plus.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of the things you said that was really interesting to me is about how you talked about a lot of times the target or the victim especially the one who survives the final girl is, is innocent is good and it's Mm -hmm. weird it's 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 kind of ironic that the the killer the punisher of these things also for whatever reason carries out justice a lot of times too i mean the the film critics especially of the early 80s that were so critical of slashers and the conservative Mm -hmm. right like the people who went after slashers for um them being just so reprehensible quote-unquote it was ironic because actually there was a good versus evil aspect in it. And those who were living an evil lifestyle were often punished.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Other than, and this is, I'm not a racist by any means, but I, I seen there was a movie. Um, what was the name of the movie? Um, Alone in Dark, maybe that came out last year, a year before. And there's been a few slasher films that's kind of made pun of this, but mm-hmm. you always had the, the individual of color, a black person. Mm hmm. And they, they always made jokes of this, like, you know, <laughs> like if he was in a scary movie or something <laughs> and that, that black person would turn around and be like, oh, OK, so I'm I'm obviously the first one to die. Right. right I, mean, was, yeah. I don't know why it was always that way. I'm like, dude, let someone of color be the one that survives this time. But it was always I don't know why I have no clue in a slasher film. They always put that character in there. Knowing in your mind that they're going to die within the first three people. Why? Why do that? If I had a slasher film, that's the one surviving, dude. Because <laughs> it's going to be a total shock to the world
0: that that well, individual.
1: figured that out with Night of the Living Dead. Like, yeah. Wait a minute. We can subvert <laughs> yeah. this idea.
0: Yeah, with yes. Dwayne, Dwayne Jones. Yeah, as Ben. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: no. That, I think that, I think there's a reason for it and maybe this is getting too much into just sociology and not enough about horror movies but I think um, you know they are trying to be inclusive of minorities in films so they're trying to put them into the movies right and yet when you know the audiences are mostly white the filmmakers are mostly white the the writers the actors you know the the film industry is mostly white right. we just naturally gravitate as human beings, and I'm saying this as a brown person myself, we naturally gravitate toward people who are similar to us. That's just human nature. And right. so the characters you know, that the largely white audience and filmmakers are going to relate to the most are the other white characters. And so it makes more sense for them to leave the white characters alive because they're the people that they are rooting for more, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Know, so,
3: crazy yeah. crazy to me the brother's going to survive in my movie i'll tell you that <laughs>
1: <laughs> no but it's funny because you it's such an obvious trope i mean like you said they bring it up now in movies yeah openly like i, I was it um i still know what you did last summer i remember they talked about that a lot and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and scream 2 they talk about it and mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. those
1: are movies that are you know the kevin williamson kind of like on the nose but i think it's just i think everybody knows that and yet. It still happens in brand new movies. It still happens. Like um, the new Blair Witch. I thought, oh, okay, they've got these two African American characters. They're obviously not going to be the first two people to die. Nope, they are.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what? (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. My slasher film, they survive. I'm telling you, they survive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what do you have to say, Wolfman? Josh, you jump in here on the anatomy of a slasher.
3: I mean,
1: I would go to Jamie Kennedy's character in Scream 1 and 2 if I really wanted to know how -hmm. these movies are built. You know, the body count is a big thing. Um, You know, we've talked about, I think Victor Miller really is kind of responsible for cementing a lot of the rules of the slasher because even though I think Halloween and a lot of those proto slashers we talked about set up a lot of the rules, the giallos, gave us a lot of the um, elements that would kind of be in the recipe for a slasher. Halloween was referencing so many types of movies, not just the stock and slash stuff that had come before it, but really, you know, cinema in general, going back to German expressionism Well, Victor Miller, who was not a horror fan, I think looking at Halloween as an outsider to the horror genre, when he was writing Friday the 13th, had to kind of like, you know, reverse engineer what he thought Halloween had done. Mm -hmm. And I think he, it, Chose things that weren't necessarily things that John Carpenter was, had been interested in reinforcing. This idea of like you have sex, you die. Like I don't think that was necessarily, or at least Carpenter has since said, the point was not you know that the virgin survives and the you know the sinners die, but that is reinforced in Victor Miller's script. And you know, here's an analogy I like to make, Jay. You you might recognize.
0: Okay.
1: You have a board, right? Right. And you put one nail into this board. You nail it to the wall. Well, I can take that board and I can spin it all around. Still, it's it's movable. It's uh, you know, it's it can point any direction. But if I put a second nail in that board, suddenly it's fast. It doesn't move. Yes. And I think that's what the Friday the Thirteenth script was to the slasher genre. You have now you have Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth, and now there's a formula. hmm And and so now you know we see these movies that we talked about last time in 1980 and 81 they're really figuring out very quickly, this is what the slasher tropes are. Yeah, and We're seeing them over and over again, repeated over and over again. And by the time we get into the films we're talking about now, 1982, 1983, 1984 even, now we're in the heyday of the slasher where people really understand what they're going to see. They know what they're going mm-hmm. to get out of these movies. And the films aren't trying that hard to break new ground, but... It, it's really working, in my opinion. These are the years that slashers are really working well, um, 82, 83, 84. And um, yeah, I think that they just kind of cracked that code, and it had become a living thing at this
0: point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I agree. What do you say, Dr. Shock? What do you say about the anatomy of the slasher convention?
2: Uh, I, I agree with Pretty much everything that both Greg and Josh have been saying thus far. Uh, one of the things I always liked about it, and we touched on it last week, is how characters don't learn. Like, they don't know what's going on because a lot of this stuff happens um, in other areas and so forth. And, and you know, the, the bodies aren't always discovered right away or the killer pulls the bodies, uh, you know, uh, conceals them or, or whatever. I mean, we're watching we're watching people die, and then minutes later we're watching everyone else just carry on as if it's, as if it's you know life as usual, mm-hmm. um, and and there's something there's something just very unsettling about that, knowing that um, that that there's a killer watching these people, and has already killed some of their friends, and they have no idea. Yeah, you know. So so there's that, um, and plus the the kills. I mean, the, the, you know, it became uh, as uh, by the time it got to the years we're going to be discussing the day uh, tonight it became okay, let's let's see how elaborate we can get with these kill scenes. Let's see yeah, um you know what, what 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 how can we raise the bar? And everybody's raising the bar. Everybody's just raising it as, as high as they can and 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 just getting like as as insane as possible with the kill scenes. You know, anything to get those audiences cheering every time they're their their favorite Killer, or, or the movie's killer shows up and, and goes after uh, one of these uh, you know poor dumb kids, <laughs> um, and it, it's it's interesting to see that as well. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting also because we talked last week about how some of the movies we discussed, like The Burning, The Prowler, had what we consider some of the best you know gore effects. In the slasher film, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what this newest collection how it how it uh, stacks up, yeah, against those because those that's early on, and yet you know the it just would become more and more and more, uh, and it be it's just going to be interesting to see you know what which ones today we think um, at least are on that level.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. You know, um, my favorite aspect to the slasher formula, uh, slasher is one of my favorite subgenres in horror i've said this before but i think what i love best is like what i would consider kind of the engine of it and we actually referred to it last week uh josh was a lot of times he would call it the prior evil or you know when something bad happens yeah there's always something uh, like almost every time like what ends up becoming the monster is at one point a victim. There's a there's a terrible wrongdoing, or or and it's usually a tragedy. Actually, it's usually like a profound, a profoundly sad event. A lot of times that end up uh, enraging and and causing this this fire within this newfound monster. And like John Kenneth Muir, he's one of my next to Kyle Bishop. He's one of my favorite people who write about horror films. In his book, uh, Horror Films FAQ, he kind of lays out the structure of slashers, which I really like, because a lot of people have written and talked about this. I kind of like the way he puts it together. He refers to this prior evil as the, the transgression or the motivation. Some people call it the deadly preamble. Some people call it a crime of the past, but that's what it is, and that's what allows for all of these crazy killings to take place there has to be something very traumatic and a lot of times it opens the film and it kind of sets the tone and lets us know this is a horror film we're going to show you that there's awfulness and then there's a, a lot of setup before the killings start happening again mm-hmm. but that's one of I just my favorite say, mm-hmm. go ahead
1: i just want to say that i uh i got that term prior evil from victor miller and um nice I like to use this terminology because I kind of, you know, credit him with inventing what we think of as the slasher genre, yeah. Just by creating that second film, you know, in the genre, just just to really hammer home, you know. And he would he talked a lot about the prior evil was important, the kids away from adult supervision was important. The, the adults could not be in this world to rescue them, essentially, you
0: know, mm-hmm. um, which makes those, me I, think that um, like a Charlie Brown cartoon could have a slasher erupt in the middle of yeah. it. <laughs> Sorry.
1: One of my favorite people who have written about slashers is Carol J. Clover, and I have not actually completely read her book, Men, Women and Chainsaws, mm-hmm. but she's the person who coined the term the final girl. Mm hmm. And um, you know we talk about this—the virgin and the survivor girl—and it goes by different names. But she's really amazing, and and I've just—I've read a lot of excerpts from her book, but I had never actually read it. And as we finished up the last episode, I thought, you know, it's kind of a shame that I haven't read the most important you know, in quotes book about slashers when we're reviewing slashers. So I, I ordered it last week and unfortunately it arrives tomorrow.
4: Oh, right. but,
1: um, <laughs> my goal is to read it before we wrap up and hopefully we'll have some more insights from her. But um, I've just always been really impressed with everything I've read. She has to say on the topic as well. And Ky- Kyle talks about her a
0: lot. Oh yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. It's a shame he couldn't be on these shows with us as well. But um, yeah. So to talk a little bit more about this, the the slasher film paradigm, it, it is interesting because it's this formula, this formula that's built on. Um, it, I, I picture it like a Christmas tree, kind of, or or like a tree. You gotta have the the tree and then the branches to hang the ornaments on, and the ornaments are kind of the episodic kill scenes. You've got these these set pieces that are essentially just various kill scenes. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really kind of how they change it up. So, you know, the convention is, is very um, tried and true. It's very familiar, but the way they mix it up are the, the kill methods, obviously. Uh, and then the killer themselves, like whether it's, um, you know, where the killer's wearing a mask or the weapons that the killer uses, you know, those things. And then they put in the mystery elements, which we talked about last week and, whether it's like a whodunit, and um, that's pretty interesting as well, and and then that mirror guy, <clears throat> I know I can never say his name, but he also talks about an organizing principle, which I thought this was a little bit harder to grasp for me at least. He he said it's it goes beyond just the setting or location, um, because sometimes we might think of it like that, but he gave um, Friday the Thirteenth as as an example. It takes place at a summer camp and that is like um, a setting and location, but it has a lot of elements that kind of unify this whole scenario where they're isolated. You've got, um, you know, teenage kids who want to, you know, hook it up with each other. You've got the camp setting. So you're going to have various camp related weapons around. Mm -hmm. And then that setting also gave way to the prior evil for that tragedy. happened in the beginning and so that that organizing principle kind of put all that together for him and that was kind of cool
1: yeah we talk about premise a lot on the show and you know it's usually the idea of characters and setting or circumstance um coming together to create this kind of unique situation and slashers are great example of really utilizing that well i mean it's often very on the nose, but the kills are the perfect example of that because they really do, do utilize the tools of whatever that location is to kind of um, give this film its own unique flavor.
0: You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and one thing that we we've, we've seen since, I mean, especially in the, the seventies, the I mean, Halloween, Greg's all time favorite Uses this a ton, but you got the subjective point of view, you know, from the killer perspective. And we've even seen that, we've talked about it in the past, we've seen that even earlier in the cinema. But having that monster's per- perspective was like significant um, to this subgenre. So, um, but talking more about the characters, guys, so th- there are com- some conventional kind of characters. You always have the killer, of course. And, sure. then, and then you usually have, um, I, I, I like to call them like the harbinger of doom. There's, there's often someone who's like, um, crazy, Ralph. Yeah, crazy or it, <laughs> interpreted as crazy, but they're also kind of right in their, their predictions of doom. There's somebody like that. There's a red herring or multiple red herrings where, you know, it's like, especially in the whodunits, it's like, okay, that person really seems like the killer. Is it that person, yeah. you know? And then there's like always a practical joker. Usually, there's somebody to bring some levity to the proceedings. And then you got, um, you know, like the athletic, like the jock type, the cheerleader type, and of course the final girl. Um, you know the the uh, sleazy type figure. Um, what, <laughs> Which ones am I leaving out, guys? Of these familiar characters.
3: Mm, you usually have one other character. You you pretty much named them all, honestly. But you usually have uh-huh. that one other character, your Donald Plateson's character or your your police officer whatever. You usually have that one authoritative character that's either tracking them down or hunting them down or or know about them via hospital or whatever. You usually have that other character. But uh, other than that, you pretty much nailed the characters.
0: Yeah. And kind of like a useless or an impotent authority figure. There's usually at least (laughs) one of those that people hate, right? Yeah. So, like, there's somebody like that, too. But Mm -hmm. these are all familiar types of characters. Now, what about, let's just put it out there, one aspect that's a familiar convention in the slashers are, like, you know, the nudity, for example. Yeah. And uh, John Kenneth Muir referred to it as um, in his book as... The breast part of the movie, <laughs> which is terrible. What's wrong with him? But anyways, um, that uh, you know, I hear like like our friend Bill Shetty, for example. I mean, when he's ticking off the things that he's liking in slashers, I've heard him many times. You know, that's kind of part or the the beautiful ladies that are featured yeah. in slashers as well. Uh-huh. You know, So, anyways. <laughs>
2: So. And, that's, and that's obviously one of the things that that had a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, I guess the critics up in arms back in the day is, is just the, the, the misogyny of, of uh, the perceived misogyny of these films. Yeah. You know, not only are there, are these women being, being killed in, in a brutal fashion, but they're also taking their clothes off right before. Um, and you didn't see that so much, obviously with the guys for uh, obvious reasons back then, you know, with, uh. The MPAA code being what it was. I mean, you could only barely get away with with female nudity back then. Um, I don't think, I think male nudity was still pretty much taboo. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 that was one of the things I think that, that had a lot of people just, or a lot of critics anyway. Um, you know, the studios were giving the horror fans what they wanted at the time, what they had an appetite for at the time and, and critics just weren't getting it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well, thanks guys for um, pitching in there. I mean, we any final thoughts on this? Because what we're gonna do, if people haven't noticed, like at the beginning of each episode, we kind of tackle a different aspect of the slasher subgenre. And next week, it sounds like Josh is gonna bring us a little bit of info from um, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, right? And we'll talk. We'll incorporate that in our discussion as well. Nice. Okay. Anything else before we move into the 1982? Then. No. All right. Mm-mm. All right. Well, uh, let's do it uh, uh, without further delay. Um, let's jump into this. And uh, <laughs> I think I'll kick it off right here with one from 1982 called uh, Humongous. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and and I got to see this thanks to uh, Dr. Shock. He actually, uh, maybe he doesn't want me saying this out loud, but he actually let me borrow one of his films, which I, which wow. was a huge honor to me. And he was kind enough to mail it across the country so I could watch this. And I did see it. And the premise is you got a, a monstrous offspring of a violent crime grows up in seclusion on a remote island where a boat full of hapless teens have shipwrecked, unaware of what's lurking in the woods. This is directed by Paul Lynch. And I could not wait. The first time I heard of this movie, actually was on our uh, best of the 80s and 90s episode from Horror Palace and I could not wait to see this movie and when I finally did guys I hate to say it but I was a, I was a little bit bored it's kind it's it's kind of <laughs> underwhelming I mean I love that the killer is big but you can't and the killer is big and that's why it's called humongous but you can't really tell they don't really exploit that very well and demonstrate the size, and I just, I just felt like it was too far and few and far between in there. Um, but anyway, that's my two cents. I know Greg Amortis likes this pretty well.
3: Uh, humongous uh, would have to revisit it, man. A lot of these, as I'm looking down 1982, I need to really revisit because. For whatever reason, other than the big hitters, man, a b- bunch of these just look like words to me. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Humongous is one I would really need to revisit, man. It was probably a VHS
0: watch back in the day. Mm-hmm. What well, do you say, Doc? I know you've seen it.
2: I did see it, I remembered liking it. Um, I'm actually looking up uh, my review of it now, so I know I covered it on the blog, Um Which I think is one of the reasons I I didn't have a problem sending it to you. I had actually just watched it.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, Not
2: too long long ago. It didn't have to do with Um,
0: friendship or trust or anything like that. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't
2: don't bother with that type of crap. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I've never, I've never, I would, I have never mailed a a video uh, anywhere before.
0: That's right, everybody
2: simply because I'm not Netflix.
0: I, there are two reasons I'm Jay of the Dead. Number 1, I borrowed a movie from Dr. Shock and number 2, I had a special guest appearance on Planet Macabre. That's what's yeah. up.
2: That's right. Yeah.
0: There you go. There kidding. you go. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Um I know I, I know the movie gets off to a, a pretty uh, kind of a kind of a brutal start with a with a rape scene.
4: Um Yes, It so was brutal. kind of like
2: wow, that's that was a you know, it's, it's an interesting way to, to start a movie like this of course then it jumps into the future and um, we got the uh, kids going out on a boat and uh, ending up on this island uh, called dog island I uh, yes for obvious reasons um, but you're right I mean it's a big it's a big guy um, is the creature in this one and every now and again he'll he'll like he'll like roar and you'll hear something um, but it's not as if you know. I did like it, uh, and I can't say I remember a whole lot about it.
0: It's a Canadian it's a film, film, right? I mean, that's a Canadian film, is yes, it? Yes,
2: I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Yes, I think it is.
0: Okay, I think yeah. it
2: is, and I think this was released in um, Scorpion. Releasing put out this DVD.
0: Yeah, that that um, uh, wrestler lady who was doing her yeah,
2: Katarina. Mm-hmm. Katarina, I can't remember what her full name is. Right. Uh, but she she had this this whole series of movies. And um, this this was one of them. I don't know that the rest of the movie lived up to the to the to the sort of the brutality of that opening scene.
0: Right. I I think there were
2: some that came a little close to it, but um, I don't think it quite reached it. You know, Uh, it was entertaining enough. I did. I did. I, I did like it. I can't say I loved it.
0: Okay, fair enough.
2: And I can't say it's I can't say it was particularly memorable either. Because I'm looking at my review here and I'm not recognizing well, nothing's really leaping back to me except uh, that opening scene.
0: Yeah, exactly. Honestly, because not a whole lot happens in it, to be honest. So just just putting Uh it out there. Okay, Greg Amortis, what do you got for 1982?
3: Uh, I think I would have to go. I'm going to throw out the heavy hitter first. I'm going out with one of my favorites, and that's Friday 13th Part 3 my favorite in the series by the way um i just absolutely love uh richard brooker of course plays the jason character um plot there's really the same plot of any of the friday 13s campers go to camp and (laughs) boom killer um (laughs) but i just i just i loved this one because it was the introduction of of jason it was the introduction of the hockey mask Mm -hmm. and they went with the 3d gimmick which was something cool that wasn't being played out a whole lot and they decided hey you know sean Cunningham, all of them are like hey let's throw out a 3d gimmick did it work i like it but you know some people crapped on it for that but (laughs) hey i gave it i gave it a good good rating just because of that i mean they Reached out of the realm and said, let's do 3D. But no, I mean, you got your your characters, as you was mentioning, Jay, earlier. You had your kind of comedic guy, which was Shelly, who brought the hockey mask. You got your jocks, all this stuff. Um, I really enjoy Friday 13, Part 3. It's got some of the worst um, effects as far as death scenes. One, without spoiling too much, the eyeball pop-out scene, which totally <laughs> <laughs> looks goofballed. When you watch the movie because of the 3D gimmick, but man, I mean, you got your Cheech and child characters in this movie. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> right. And, uh, very, I don't even remember now. I don't think this one had nudity or if it did, it was very little in this. one. And I'm trying to even remember in the back of my head. And I just watched it like two weeks ago. So I don't think this one even had any nude. If it did, it was a flash or something. But I just, I really love the kills in this one. And I really, really, really loved Richard Brooker as Jason Voorhees, man. Yeah. Um, such menacing walk about him. And he just stopped us. And I met the guy and, you know, he passed away a couple years ago, unfortunately. But um, I love this one, man. It's such a great movie. My favorite in the Friday 13th series.
0: Mm. I, I back it. It's tremendous, and it's Joe Brunette's number fifteen on his favorite slasher list, right there. I what
1: that one a five?
0: What did <laughs> you say? What?
1: I'm just looking over our review that we did on uh, HMP episode forty-three when we were doing the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, and I gave that one a five and gave and called it a rental. Mm. That was the lowest by far. Really? And, uh, cool. Jay said cool. eight point five and buy it. Doc said yeah. eight
3: five and buy it what i give it oh. <laughs> you weren't on that episode. you weren't on that episode. i give it a 10 baby yeah, yeah. you would have i would have i'd have creamed all over this one <laughs>
0: <laughs> love it uh-huh. it is good it's really good yeah i can't argue with you in that like i i like that one uh, like almost equally with with part two but Mm-hmm. But I'm with you. Yeah, it's the, the the dawning of the hockey mask. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. All uh,
2: right. One. I put. I put in a. I put in my review for part one. Gave us the legend. Part two. Gave us the killer. Part three. Gave us the headgear. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'll uh, look a picture of somebody with the long braces and the little
2: headgear. <laughs> but but I'll tell you what. But, but one thing I, I did really like about this movie, and it was a little bit of a little bit sort of odd, was the character of Shelley. Uh-huh. You know oh, this this just little sort bit of, odd. <laughs> Yeah, that's just <laughs> this, this sort of nerdy guy who becomes this uh, a major character, and you actually start to like this guy. I think they found him. They found him giving out um, flyers for another horror movie, and they said, "Okay, do you want to be in one?" and and he he agreed, and he does stand out when you look at the the standard characters in these movies. This mm-hmm. guy stands out, um, and he's not just there. I mean, he's there for for some comic effect, obviously, uh, quite a bit, but he also you know he has that, that that gimmick where he he can do like the the horror effects and. Mm. Uh, you never know, you know, he, he tries to tries to scare them early on. And, and so I thought that was interesting. I thought it was an, just an interesting way to uh, an interesting character to put in this, this kind of movie mm-hmm. and for that time period, especially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, that's Friday the 13th, part three. Dr. Shock, what do you have for 1982?
2: For 1982, I have the underrated, as far as Jay of the Dead is concerned, the Dorm that dripped blood.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, Dave. I was just going to leave that one out. <laughs> no,
2: no kidding. No kidding. Uh, Morgan Meadows Hall uh, has been a co-op college dormitory for a long time, and it's closing its doors. Most of the students are gone for Christmas break, but a few remain behind to sort of uh, cl- clean up and and pack up the things in the hall. They've agreed to do that.
0: Yeah, tell us all uh, the things have, that they're uh, going to do. <laughs> Oh, no, I
2: don't. I don't have to because they show it. They showed in about five minutes. I think. I don't know what. I think your stopwatch
0: stopped
2: for about forty minutes there, Jay, because you're you're thinking all of this stuff goes on of moving things around and whatnot. And, I am. And, uh, I, I don't, I, I really, I don't know where you got that or, or what you were thinking that, that this movie is just nothing but kids moving things and packing things for, and, for those and so forth. It, it's not that whatsoever.
0: I, but, hey. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I even said anything because like on horror metropolis episode 10, Dr. Shock and I got in a fight that went on for like 40 minutes about <laughs> about about how much time they spend talking about what they're gonna do and um and, and yes, I was ex- exaggerating, but Dave, one of these days, I should record just the the audio of all that because it's it's a surprising yeah, amount that's of time
2: we got we, we got we got three or four minutes to kill I do that sure. <laughs>
0: I mean, mm. it's a no, surprising I I, amount. And
2: I, I'm a, I might be... I, but, Jay, but yeah, I mean, like you were talking about the burning. I don't think there's more talk of the kids moving things around than there was in the burning of stuff in the camp.
0: Yeah, I complained about that, too. I really
2: don't. I understand that. But with the burning, it seemed like it didn't matter as much. This one does have its kills. I mean, you have that one... Um, I think this is the movie that has... The uh, the the bat with the uh, with the nails driven into it.
0: Yes, it is. Which
2: for me is just probably one of the most terrifying weapons.
4: Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. the thought
2: of somebody swinging this thing and just having it stop dead, lodging. You know, with, with these <laughs> nails. Yeah, and oh that one really. Um, uh, that one really just bothers me. I, it, it, for some reason, more than a lot of other weapons, that one just really gets to me. Uh, and then you have this uh, in that movie, um, you know, the, the, the parents who went to pick up the one girl. I think it was uh, actually it was uh, Daphne Zuniga. And this is her screen debut. She tells nobody it's her screen debut. But this was the, the first movie she appeared in. Um, so it does have its share of it does have a share of, of of gruesome kills. Again, it's not perfect, um, you know, because it, it's uh <sighs> I seem to remember the um uh, the, the the twist at the end uh, was was a little uh, it was a little bit kind of like okay, yeah whatever you know it didn't, <laughs> nice. didn't exactly impress me um, but uh, no, I liked it I, I I don't remember what I rated it. I probably rated it a couple points higher simply because you and I were going back to it than maybe I would have uh, had we had a civil discussion about it, but
0: um, yes, we, I don't
2: even remember what I rated it.
0: I, I have it right here. I think
2: it's okay.
0: But um, yeah, and this one,
2: I probably gave, gave it. I probably gave it a ten, <laughs> just just out of spite. Yeah, but,
0: he gave it an eight out of ten, and he said buy it. And I uh-huh. gave it a four and said avoid.
2: <laughs> but uh, I probably would. I would probably would come closer to a to a seven. If, if I were being honest. Okay. Um, but I still think it's worth, uh, I think it's worth a rental. I don't know if I'd say buy it. I think it's worth a rental. Um, um, and it's a decent, I think it's a decent slasher entry. You, you just have to go back and, and make sure your stopwatch is working this time. When, you, when you're timing <laughs> people talking or timing people walking down the hall or whatever it is you time when you, uh, when you sit there with your timer.
0: And, and we should mention in case people want to look this up and, uh, get familiar with, uh, how to close down a dorm in the wintertime. It's also known as pranks <laughs> and also known <laughs> as, uh, death dorm. Those are the alternate titles. If it, was,
2: if it were it pranks, you would be timing the, the practical jokes, I'm sure, and we'd hear how it was a practical joke movie. But the fact that it's called the Dorm the Trip I guess you were timing the, the packing of the materials and such. And, right. and I really do think I really do think your timer, I really do think your stopwatch wasn't working. I think you forgot that you forgot to stop it. At some point, you just looked down and said, "Wow, 40 minutes."
0: So Jason Dragon, this was on his honorable mention list. And he calls it a fun college campus flick that would make a good double bill with Christie from 2015. Ooh. There you have it. All right. Well, uh, thank you for covering that one for us, Dave. Now that yeah. that's <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We well, and Josh, what do you have for 1982?
1: 1982, I'm going to go with what is probably considered a classic. I know, uh, I think it was Jason Dragon on the last episode's so that this is giallo, not a slasher, but um, and I can see that. But I'm I'm going to go ahead and call this a straight up slasher. It's the Lucio Fulci classic, Ooh. New York Ripper. Yes, uh, this is a grotesque, sleazy yeah. movie. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, for Woo. a lot of a lot of
2: reasons. Yeah,
1: yeah, and um, it, it was highly censored, and um, and I believe even today it is still highly censored. I don't think you can get the the complete version as far as I know, but Dave would probably be actually the better person to talk about this since he just reviewed it for uh, the 31 days of Halloween. But um, it's just, just, just such an interesting film. Um, it, it takes place in New York. The killer is one of the more out there <laughs> killers that we've seen. Um, now these Fulci guys, they like to use killers with creepy voices in their films. <laughs> but uh, this one, man, this this is quack, a creepy. Quack, this quack. is the creepiest voice i can ever <laughs> uh, it's Essentially, it's a it's a really weird Donald Duck impression. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, and if you haven't seen the film, you probably think I'm joking right now. But no, that's what it is. It's a Donald. <laughs> no, he quacks. He he quacks when he calls out <laughs> an
2: inspector. He's quacking.
1: <laughs> uh, this is really gory. It's really um, kind of mean spirited. I would actually say too. Uh, the mm. it's lots of you know nudity and just sex and crazy, crazy sex actually too. I mean, there's a famous <laughs> scene, like a footsie scene. Um, there's a pretty famous, uh, like pool hall kind of scene. Yeah. This is a, this is an intense viewing experience. It's not one that I'd recommend to everybody because it's so crazy. But, um, if you're used to kind of the Italian horror, um, and you think you can handle it, this is definitely on the list of slashers you should see, uh,
3: yeah, the video nasty style.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
3: This
2: one never even made video nasties because they played it. Now, this is this is supposedly. I've read some places that this didn't actually happen. This was just sort of a, you know, a legend for a while. But it yeah. didn't make the video nasties list because they screened it. You know, the head of the uh, the uh, BBFC screened it. At the end of the screening, turned the canister supposedly over to the police, had them taken immediately to Heathrow and flown out of the country. Yeah. So that it would so they would never even have gotten a chance to be on video. They banned it straight from theatrical release. So mm. it would have never gotten to video anyway. And I think it's just in the two thousands that they finally had a video release in England. And yeah, Josh, I think you're right. I think it's still heavily censored.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's now the version that I saw was a terribly dubbed English version. And I don't know if the Italian version is readily available either, but um that definitely made the viewing a little less I don't know I I was going to talk about this with the blade in the dark too Mm -hmm. on one hand it's less enjoyable on the other hand it kind of adds to the creepiness factor because the performances are stilted in a really kind of um, I don't know what the right word is I I don't want to say off-putting but just kind of um, it takes you off guard a little bit it kind of makes you uneasy the the way that the voiceovers are done in the dub so yeah I don't know just an interesting little tidbit if you end up watching this you know, with the English dub.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blue Underground released it with amazing Blu-ray. It's, it's a It really, really
2: is good. You know, yeah, Blu- it's a okay. really good Blu-ray
3: release. Yeah. yeah, I love this movie, man. I really do, Josh.
1: It's a must-see, I think. Yeah, I can't recommend it to everybody because it's, right. it's a harder watch than a lot of the movies we're talking about. It's a more difficult viewing experience, but... Mm. Um, if you're up for it, I think it is definitely like one of the Alzheimer's.
0: Well, you know how a lot of the '80s slashers have like kind of a fun, you know, mm-hmm. vibe to them. This is a a little more serious business, a little more hardcore. Oh yeah, yeah, yes.
2: Yeah. yeah, you're not gonna walk the. You're not gonna walk out of this one thinking, you know, like like a roller coaster. You're gonna thinking, boy, you're gonna walk out of this one. I gotta take a shower.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's where that little light in your soul is blown out. <laughs> right. Right. Well, sp- speaking of that, um, you know, there's one from Spain and, and I just want to kind of put this out there. So not only are these episodes not exhaustive exhaustive where we cover every single film, but sometimes like our years are a little bit, you know, uh, like we might mention something in a different year. So just kind of ignore that. And, but so maybe we've even already mentioned this one, but one of my favorites is the Spanish film called Pieces from 1982. Um, Man, this is, and it seems like it's a little bit lesser known gem usually. So Mm -hmm. if you're a slasher fan out there, you haven't seen Pieces, it's a must. I mean, it's totally brutal. I mean, it's got a lot of brutality, like what we're talking about. The tagline is, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre.
3: And (laughs) and it
0: it opens with a boy, um, you know, taking out his mom pretty graphically like um and i don't want to go into i don't want to spoil details for you but but that's just the opening like the curtain raiser is just very explicit and upsetting and there is a uh stabbing scene that happens on a waterbed that is just unforgettable it's it's one of the most disturbing slasher scenes i've ever witnessed in a film and Uh yeah and it 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 affects you a lot now i I believe dr Shock recently you've said that um, you know, some of this film doesn't add up and make sense when when it's all well, put no, together.
2: It doesn't. This is this is one of those movies that you just kind of let it go. I mean, there's there's a scene that I'm thinking about. There's a, in, in a in, I guess you know, it takes place at, at a uh, university, and this girl goes for a swim in the pool, and um, you know something happens. Uh, well, all right, it's a slasher. She's she's killed. Um, but it's not really that's like happens in the first I don't know, half hour, or whatever in the movie. Uh, but anyway, the groundskeeper, played by Paul Smith, who everybody will remember as a Blue Doe from the Popeye movie from 1980, for those of you unfortunate enough to have seen that, right? He is walking out, and it's his chainsaw. And this other kid walks in at the same time and spots him standing next to the chainsaw and sees the body, runs off, gets the cops. The cops come in, lead Paul Smith away. You know, they arrest him and lead him off. Five minutes later, uh, Christopher George's character is saying, we don't have any leads. We don't have any suspects. (laughs) What the hell do you mean you don't have any suspects? They just arrested somebody.
4: (laughs) They arrested some guy
2: who owns the chainsaw. (laughs) Um, Mm. So there's that. Plus, uh, yeah, just other lapses and and whatnot. But it doesn't matter because it's not, okay, actually the one that really really gets me is is, uh, this undercover cop is, is on campus. She just goes out for a walk. And is suddenly attacked by a by a kung fu this crazy kung fu expert who just starts attacking her with with martial arts and she has to fight him back with martial arts. And then uh, once that's over, you know the, the the same kid who was in the the earlier scene I was talking about runs out to her, and she goes, "Oh, I was just attacked by this this insane guy." And the guy goes, "Oh no, that's my martial arts teacher, so forth." And he stands up and he goes. I don't know. He said something extremely, you know, insensitive, uh, like "oh, too much wonton" or something, and walks off. <laughs> well, the the so. whole reason behind that was the producer was making martial arts movies at the same time, and he wanted to pr- to promote them. So he had his Bruce Lee look alike, uh, or or Bruce, you know, the, his his version of the new Bruce Lee, right? Make it a, make a cameo in the movie. that... Ain't no damn sense whatsoever. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't crowbar this thing in there any 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 differently. I mean, it's just boom. It's just there, and you're like, and once it's over, you're like, what? Right. But the kills you're talking about are pretty amazing, even when you only see the aftermath. And I'm thinking of this one later in the movie. That's the one that really disturbed me, where you only see the aftermath. Yeah. And it is one of the more uh, intense uh, crime scenes that I've seen in a movie like this.
0: Yeah. It's fairly convincing. I will say, and we've got um, Uh listeners to back us up on this too. Uh, Let's see. Projectile varmint. It's one of her favorites. She calls it over the, over the top gory kills make this truly a trashy yet enjoyable slasher. And then Mark, Mark H from the UK has it among his top five slashers. says, if you're a slasher fan and you haven't seen this, you need to stop now and find it. It's a classic Euro slasher. Lots of gore, lots of cheesy music, lots of scenes, chop suey, that don't make any sense and a whole lot of fun. A good measure of suspense. Chop
2: suey, that's what he said, yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's what I think he said. Too much chop suey, that's what
0: he said, okay. (laughs) A good measure of suspense thrown in and nudity. You need to go back and watch this now. And then he put (laughs) the quote, Bastards, 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 indeed. <laughs> <That's> another <scene. laughs> and another uh, And Jason Dragon, it was number 16 in his top 20. He said, one of the most insane horror films I have ever seen. And this is very telling to people who haven't seen it. Jason says, feels like a different film each time I watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's, so.
2: that's a good mm-hmm. point. Yes, it does.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's Pieces from 1982 from Spain. It's a must-see. Okay, uh, Greg Mortis, what do you got from 1982?
3: Oh, so many good ones in here to choose, man. I, I'm holding back on a couple of them because I think they need to be later on. Because <laughs> you know I'm going to be talking about them. Uh, mm-hmm. How about a little flick? Uh, we actually mentioned this briefly last episode, but Hospital Massacre. Mm-hmm. And Hospital Massacre, a.k.a. X-Ray. This is the movie directed by Boaz Davidson and um, Barbara Benton. Doc, you remember you mentioned Barbara Benton, how beautiful oh, yeah. Barbara oh, was. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, well, like I said, Shout Factory or Scream Factory, it, it had to be Scream Factory. But anyways, in a two-pack or one of them packs had released this a few years back. And uh, they call it X-Ray. And it's, this one and Schizoids. is on the same pack and really good film. I, this is not a perfect slasher film by any means. I think they went more with the beauty of Barbara than they did an actual story plot, so to speak. But it it's a killer that's in this hospital and and stalking these people in the hospital and it's got some dark moments. It's got some comedic moments like all slashers. But it's it's an enjoyable film. Like again, not a not a perfect film by any means, but I, I enjoyed it. Um kills were not outstanding, but I thought they were decent enough to carry it. But the beauty of Barbara just carries this film. It's just like watching her on set, you you just gravitate to her. You're like, oh, that, 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 because she's so beautiful. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, you, can't, you just can't get words out. I mean, she's that beautiful. But no, nah, this is a very, 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 very decent slasher film. I sound like freaking uh, Donald Trump going very, 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 you'll never get me to say very, very, very. once in a while, blah, blah. blah. No. Nah, <laughs> 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 I don't know why he's gotten, I'm not getting in political stuff. But anyways, good good film. I, I recommend it uh, to view. I don't know if I would absolutely say go out and purchase. Although I would say it if you get the Screen Factory release. They had the two, get Schizoid and X-Ray. That's a definite purchase. And you can get that fairly cheap. Uh, but if you tried to reach out and buy this separate, I don't even know if you could individually. Uh, but good, good slasher flick, man. Not great, but good.
0: Okay. Thank you. That's X ray or hospital massacre. Massacre. Okay, what do you got for 1982,
2: Dr. Shock? All right, for 1982. And, uh, you know, Greg is right. There are some big ones um, probably going to be mentioned later on, although I'm going to mention one of them right now. It is the Slumber Party Massacre, Mm -hmm. 1982, uh, produced by Roger Corman. I mean, once these things started to make as much money as they did, everyone figured, oh, yeah, Roger will get involved sooner or later. And he did. Um, and it does have a lot of what you expect from you know, Slasher at the time. It has some, some gruesome kill scenes. It has a lot of a lot of nudity. Not a lot. Well, it has, yeah, a fair share of nudity. Uh, but there's a little more to it as well. And I think that comes in, in the form of the killer. Um now, I watched the, the special features. I did just do this, um, you know, this month um, for DVD Infatuation. And one of the things I thought was really interesting about it was, um, you know, the, the guy who played the killer. I'm trying to find his name here. Yeah, Michael Valella. He's the one who played. He's a serial killer. What happens is he he, he just escaped from uh, from this this uh, mental facility. Um, and he's stalking these kids at the school. Now, this guy is is, is it's interesting. They interviewed him. Uh, like I said, I saw the special feature on the DVD. They interviewed him. He stayed in character the whole time. He would not talk to anybody else until, he said, after some of the girls' death scenes. Then he would have, uh, like, a conversation with them or whatever. But he stayed in character. He was a method actor. They said that, you know, he, he went back to something he had learned in, in the class that. You know, the animal, what what sort of animal is, is your character? And he said his was a peacock. And you kind of see that the way he moves and, and turns his head sometimes as, as he's going after these these girls. Uh, and plus he has just this this really creepy sort of, he doesn't say anything throughout most of the movie, but then he does speak at the very end where he starts saying, you know, different things. that. And it turns out he got that. From uh, Charles Manson and his followers, which is something that they had said, supposedly, um, when they had uh, been at the, um, the, you know, the, the uh, uh, Sharon Tate, uh, that night with Sharon Tate and, uh, and the people who had gathered at her house and then they went in and slaughtered them. Something that they had supposedly said. Um, so that really does take this to a, to a different level with, with, with the killer. Other than that, yes, it has its, its, its gruesome kill scenes and um trying to think of one and it has one another thing it has that i like it has brink stevens in a very early role um you know she would go on to be one of the late 80s uh video screen queens along with uh linnea quigley and michelle bauer uh, and this is her, her you know sort of young and they had this very extended shower scene which is for no reason other than the camera. I mean, there's one point where the camera just goes right up and down as one girl as she's standing in the shower. That's really all it's about. Um, but what's another thing that's interesting about this is it was written and directed by a woman. I mean, not the same either. I mean, Amy Jones uh, directed it and I'm um, trying to see um, who wrote it. It was um,
0: uh, Rita Mae Brown,
2: Rita Mae, Rita Mae Brown. Yes, was uh, had had written this one. Um, so it, it is, uh, it, and it does get into like, they have different characters in this one. This is not all just setting all these girls up to be victims because not only do you have the ones who gather for the slumber party, but you have this neighbor girl who's new. They invited her. She said, no, I'm not going to go. She's watching her sister. And they're looking through the window and sort of seeing what's going on over there. And they get pulled into it to a degree. Um, and an actually a pretty interesting scene where, where the younger sister is going to goes next door and goes into the fridge. at a refrigerator and finds something uh, um, other than a beer was what she was going for. Um, but anyway, this is a this is a uh, this is one that I appreciate, I think, a little more on this most recent viewing than I even had in the past. And I always liked it. But this one, I saw it as, you know, and I think watching the special features helped as well. So this is one, yeah, this is up to, I think this has got to be one of the, the better ones to come out in the, uh, of 1982, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. And Graham agrees with you. Um, Graham said it's, uh, a, a very average guy, quote unquote killer, but some great eye candy and interesting death scenes.
4: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. There you have it. Wolfman Josh, what do you have next for 1982?
1: I'm going to go ahead and go with a little movie from Troma called Last Horror Film, mm. um, a.k.a. Oh. Fanatic. And this is one of those films, you know, it's Troma, but don't expect um, necessarily the kind of the cheesy schlockiness of Troma. Do expect the low-budget indie, um, you know, guerrilla filmmaking approach of Trump, although i believe this was made for about two million dollars so mm. really not too shabby in terms of bad um, in terms of budget um and it takes place in france so basically what you have here is uh, joe Spinell is a taxi driver in new york and he becomes obsessed with um you know a, a famous actress a screaming queen and he wants to get her in his film he says and uh he ends up stalking her, uh, following her to the Cannes Film Festival to try to convince her to uh, to work with him. And things do not go well from there. Uh, they turn murderous. Mm-hmm. One kind of interesting thing about this movie, besides um, you know, <laughs> Joe Spinell uh, being in it, is uh, director David Winters. Uh, he's uh, mostly known for dance movies. He did a lot of... Um, Produced a lot of films, uh, musicals, and dance films. He also did that. Uh, the lesser of the eighties skateboarding films, Thrashing with Josh Brolin, uh, was one of his that not, he directed.
0: Yeah, not nearly as good as Gleaming the Cube. Not nearly as good. <laughs> right.
1: But <laughs> but still a must if you're going to watch. If you're going to put in something like rad, you might as well throw in Thrashing as well.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Not to get too far off topic here. Yes. Um. But yeah, I I think this is probably David. Masterpiece, if I had to if I had to hand him one. It's just much better than it should be, uh, based on kind of the low rent um, you know,
0: look of it. And it's just um well, that premise, Josh, is great. I yeah. love the idea of the premise.
1: Now, one kind of funny thing is that the film that she's in to promote is called Scream. And of course there huh, hmm. there's a there's another scream. Um, did we even talk about scream actually last week?
0: The um, no, because it was not 1980 or 1981. Oh, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm joking.
1: <laughs> what what year is that other scream? Um,
0: oh, oh, I I was just
1: the be- sl- original slasher scream. Yeah,
0: I was being a, a goof. I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> I was trying to be funny. Let me see. I'm actually. Is it is 81.
1: It is 81. Yeah. Dang it. <coughs> I'm a sucker.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, I I, I stand yeah. corrected. I thought you were talking about the news screen. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, why didn't we mention that?
1: I forgot about it. I It didn't have it on my, my not-so-perfect list. One of our listeners, Eric Yvonne, had just mentioned that it wasn't great uh, to me on Twitter just a couple days earlier. Um, but that name... You know, I like that name. And the poster is amazing. If you've ever seen that, the Scream 1981 poster uh, is so cool. It's basically someone grabbing onto the crescent moon and using it as a scythe. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, this is not that either. So it's, I don't know, it's just interesting that there were a few other movies called Scream floating around out there. One that was an actual slasher and then this kind of film within a film. But I think this is the more notable one in terms of influencing Kevin Williamson's film, because this is also kind of like a film within a film universe kind of world. You know, this is taking place at the Cannes Film Festival.
0: You know what would be awesome, Josh, if they had an actual real slasher film called Stab, and in that film, there was a, a film called The Last <laughs> Horror Film within Stab. That would be awesome.
1: <laughs> That's the only way it could get any better. But, um <laughs> Right. Yeah, so this film um, is one worth searching out. It's still available, I believe, through Troma. There's a Blu-ray of it. And um, if you're not familiar with Joe Spinell, he's definitely someone to familiar, familiarize yourself with. Dave talked about him a little bit last week, but he's just he's one of these odd actors from this mm. era that um, found himself in and around greatness, you know, a lot. He was kind of in that pack of outsider filmmakers with right. uh, Coppola. And one of my favorite videos that I've ever seen online is the YouTube video of Steven Spielberg not oh, was,
2: I, I forgot. To, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, you, you Steven Spielberg watching the nominations for Jaws the year Jaws came out, and there's Joe Spinell standing there. Wearing the coat he had from The Godfather and a Jaws T-shirt, <laughs> and a Jaws T-shirt, and when Spielberg is passed over for Best Director, Spinell, because you can tell Spielberg's really disappointed, and Spinell just kind of jumps in it and then sort of steals the spotlight from Spielberg at that point, which is probably good—a good thing, Um, you know—and he just starts screaming about how Coppola didn't win Best Director for The Godfather and what a travesty it is, and. And you just, you see that video and you're like, that could be one of the most bizarre <laughs> things I've hmm. ever seen. Just Spielberg watching the nominations with Joe Spinell and, and some other guy.
3: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> some other guy.
2: <laughs> I don't even know who the other guy was. I know it was, it's a friend of Joe Spinell's. They're both, they're and both of them are just there to, I don't know. It's like they were there to sort of take the spotlight off of Spielberg. And it's really sad. If you haven't seen that video, definitely. Definitely check it out. I'm sure it's out there on YouTube. You know, just, you know, Spielberg, Spinel, and I'm sure it'll come up.
0: Cool. That sounds good. All right.
1: Anyway, this is one of those cinematic, I don't know if it's a cinematic oddity necessarily, but it's just one of those uh, lesser known films that's worth searching out.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's the last horror film from 1982. All right. And uh, so here's one. What about Alone in the Dark? That's already been mentioned tonight briefly but yeah this is a strange one isn't it yeah it's a quartet of murderous psychopaths that break out of a mental hospital during a power blackout and they lay siege to their doctor's house it's directed by jack shoulder and we got an email just today from bill who actually recommends this one he wrote about it and said i hope you don't forget to mention alone in the dark from 1982 I never hear it get talked about when top 80s films are mentioned, but it was one of the first from New Line Cinema pre-Freddy. It also had a hockey masked killer before Jason. It had a strong cast, including Donald Pleasance uh, playing a criminal psychiatrist. What a stretch. <laughs> and I sort of <laughs> it sort of reminded me of the late 80s comedy The Dream Team taken to the next level. I realize it may not be a conventional slasher, really funny. but it deserves to be in the <laughs> con- conversation. I think that's interesting. Those are a lot of um, pretty noteworthy points that Bill brings up there.
2: Yeah. Also is Jack Palance and Martin Landau in it. I know I've seen the trailer for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Landau. Uh, yeah. This is an
1: interesting movie. I, this is such a weird movie. In fact, the opening scene for this movie, I wish that's what the movie was. I, <laughs> like, it's a, it's a Martin Landau um oh. dream sequence, nightmare sequence. But man, like that first scene is like this is gonna be off of the wall when you start watching that film. It still is a little bit, but not quite as much as uh it, you think it's going to be at the beginning.
0: <laughs> That's right. So that one's called Alone in the Dark. Greg Amortis, what do you have for nineteen eighty two?
3: Uh nineteen eighty two. How about this little flick, guys? How about a film that I want on Blu-ray. Screen Factory released it a few years back, but a little crime horror thriller called Death Valley. Nice. Okay. Dick Richards directed this. Now this will this will star an individual kid that you will recognize pretty darn quickly. Oh, Peter Billingsley himself, Mister Ralphie, oh. from the greatest <laughs> Christmas movie ever, The Christmas Story. Love that movie. Yeah, but this is Peter Billingsley as a little kid, same age as he was in A Christmas Story. <laughs> uh, just a cool little slasher. Not excellent by any means, but l- listen to some of the cast in this thing. You've got Paul LaMott, Catherine Hicks. you got Stephen McHaddie. you got Wilford, or Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. Of course, Peter Billingsley. How about Edward Herman? I uh, love that dude. He was in Lost Boys and a lot of other stuff. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, Jack O'Leary, it's got a great cast, man, but the thing I always remember about this movie, and I haven't seen it in years, but I still remember little Peter Billingsley, who plays the character of, um, Billy, he, he they're on a trip to see the mom and the boyfriend. They're separating him and his, his mom and dad are separated kind of deal. But um, he's going to visit them. They're in a hotel, and I'll never forget because he's dressed like a little cowboy. He's got a little cowboy hat on, and he's like <laughs> little pea shooters, or, almost much like Christmas Story. Right. Uh, but just, <laughs> just such This is such a unique slasher flick that has some really, I think, intense, scary moments in it. Overall, it's kind of goofball movie, but there are some pretty intense moments in this film. And uh, like I said, Shout Factory, Scream Factory had released this several years ago, or I'd say four or five years ago, whatever it was, but I've just never got my hands on it. I want it because it's one of those guilty pleasure movies, but definitely check it out. Highly recommend it. Death Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, great cast. God, just Stephen
2: just McCaddy in there. I mean, that guy is... Yeah. Uh, he's just one of... he's. Every time I see him in the cast, I, I get... I. I I'm anxious to see the movie just because I just I think of him in um, what was that Pontypool.
0: No. Oh, yes. yes. And
2: just how just how mesmerizing he was mm-hmm. as that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And and I think he manages to do that with with. A, I haven't seen him uh, pretty much every role I've seen him in I've I've enjoyed.
0: Yeah. I like such
3: an underrated
0: movie. I like the uh, tagline. It says, "Not even a scream escapes." <laughs> pretty good stuff that's awesome I,
1: uh just to weirdly name drop here for a second i actually know peter billingsley what? and uh, mm. and i i had talked to him about bob clark you know because i thought it was so strange that the director of a christmas story had also directed black christmas and um and and porkies. And porkies, <laughs> but he never once mentioned that he was in a slasher. So now I want to track this down immediately. That's crazy. I had not. There you go.
3: Yes, definitely check it out, Josh. I think you'll love it.
0: I love the premise too of that. I think, mm-hmm. and that's what gets me hooked on movies. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Greg and Mortis. That's called Death Valley from 1982. And uh, Doctor Shock, what do you have for 1982? <sighs>
2: 1982, um, I was going to go with another big one, but you know what? I think I'll, I think I'll back off seeing as I've already taken a few big ones. Um, this one, I don't know that I, I, I'm I looking at it, and it, it looked familiar at first. Now I'm not 100% sure, uh, and if I did see it, it's a very long time ago. It's called Silent Rage. Oh, yeah.
0: 1982. <laughs> Chuck Norris. And I
2: think, yeah, that's one of the things, but it. it's got Chuck Norris in it. Um, and it just says, a sheriff tries to, I'm reading this from IMDb now, a sheriff tries to stop the killing spree of a mute, maniacal murderer who, as a result of years of medical experimentation, has the ability to self-heal. Uh, and I think that, I, just the fact that Chuck Norris is is in this, and I'm guessing this is before he was making all those movies for canon films, um, and all of those those action like missing an action and whatnot
0: well Um, he was a big deal at this time so i i think this is an interesting yeah yeah, this is an interesting pick that you chose dave because um it's where they started inserting like a a familiar action type hero against a monster against the slasher type character so that's pretty interesting that's going to come up later in the decade i'm going to make some controversial points but anyway i'll shut up and get out of the way go ahead sorry
2: Okay. No, like I said, I don't have a whole lot to, to say about it other than, um, it's a slasher movie with Chuck Norris. If, if I, I don't know that I've seen it. And if I have, it has been many, many years. Mm-hmm. So I don't, um, I don't know, have a whole lot to say about it. It's just, that's one of the things that, yeah, it's, it, it strikes you. It's like, wow, Chuck Norris in a, in a slasher film.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Like, um, I actually used to take Chuck Norris karate, from age nine to 19 <laughs> and Ooh. and in our studio you know they had various movie posters and this was one of them so yeah it's been a while uh-huh. for did, me too did
2: you did you ever get to see chuck Norris? did he ever show up
0: you know what um that's a, a sore spot because many people there did but by the time um i was taking it um uh, we had kind of become disenfranchised <laughs> from oh, the Chuck Norris. It was kind of um ugly, I guess. But anyways, I didn't actually get to meet him. I'm sorry. I was going to, to
2: say for 10 years, you didn't get to see him. But if it was by that point, if it was, yeah. if they had broken away.
0: Yes, that's what happened. Oh, so sorry, sorry. anticlimactic. <laughs> but Josh knows Peter Billingsley. So that's cool. That's pretty yeah. awesome.
2: That uh, is that's, awesome. I'll tell you what, it's, it's, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, yes, A Christmas Story is one of the ones that you just—what do they show it all day long on on, oh, yeah. on TBS and and that's one you could pick up in the middle of it at any point and just
1: watch it. I love that movie
3: too. I will watch it every time it's on. Yes, yep. I know a guy who knows
1: Chuck Norris, Jay.
0: Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, there you go.
3: Yeah, who is that? Would you guy? like
1: to? Would you he,
2: like to? Would you like to meet him, Jade? Maybe you can impress him with your. He was your, also uh, in the Chuck
1: or... Norris, some kind of Chuck Norris karate program. But I, you know, I knew him when I was like in junior high, and he claimed that um, the character in Ladybugs was based on, or not Ladybugs, Sidekicks with the kid from Ladybugs,
0: uh huh, was based on him, Ernie Reyes. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. That's awesome. Well, my um, my uh, jujitsu instructor my sensei he looks exactly like chuck laura norris so so it's like you met him yeah i'm over it now you know basically okay. but but <laughs> so for people out there silent rage from 1982 that i see that it's streaming on amazon for three bucks if you want to watch it there there
1: you go
0: okay wolfman josh what do you got next for
1: 1982 uh, 1982 let's see well I actually haven't seen this one, but it jumped out to me because the poster looks very similar to a poster for a new film. This is Trick or Treats from 1982. Have you guys seen that one?
0: I haven't seen it, but I found it in the research.
1: It says, a babysitter is stuck watching over a young brat on Halloween night who keeps playing (laughs) vicious pranks on her. To add to her trouble, the boy's deranged father has escaped from an asylum and is planning on making a visit. Um, <laughs> but if you look at the poster, at least the one that's on IMDb, it's, ex- it's very similar to the poster for the film holidays yes. that came out this uh-huh. year. And I, I uh-huh. think when I look at this, this had to have been the inspiration for the holidays poster. Mm-hmm.
3: Anyway, that's, that's all I know. About it. it's <laughs> well, that one actually is under my radar as well. I needed, I wrote it down on here to go look. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen it sounds a lot like Halloween, but. Yeah, I need to but, check it out. Speaking of Chuck Norris, this and, film's got David Carradine.
0: Yes. Speaking of martial artists, Kane oh, nice. from Kung Fu.
1: And Peter Jason, who's just one of those character actors that's in everything. Dude, um, nice. I, I love that guy. I got uh, to work with him on a film once, and he, just, he can sit there and name every great director, every great producer, and he's he's worked with all of them. So. Interesting
4: nice. guy.
0: Okay, so... Here you go. How, how about this one, Wolfman Josh? So that the one that Josh just said was Trick-or-Treats from 1982. Here's one that I would love to see. I haven't seen this. It's from 1982. It's called The Forest. And it's got a great premise. It's so simple. You can make tons of money if you did this right. A cannibal hermit living in the woods preys upon campers and hikers for his food supply. Directed by Don Jones, stars Dean Russell, Gary Kent. Anyway, have you guys seen that one? I have not. no. I don't know that I have either. And yeah,
1: another beautiful poster. That poster is amazing. That's really cool. Look at that. Yes. Hat. Wow.
0: Yeah, I love the poster. Daddy's, on
1: Daddy's gone.
2: Daddy's gone hunting. Is the tagline. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. 1982, the forest. So. Yeah, let us know, guys, if you've seen it. If you have Amazon Prime, actually, it's on Prime right now. So
3: Nice.
0: All right, Greg Amortis, what do you got for 1982,
3: sir? I uh, actually just stepped out to go grab it. I got my DVD of it. This is actually an underrated film, too, that a lot of people, well, i say a lot. There's probably several that's never heard of it, so I want to mention it. It's a movie called Unhinged. Um, directed by Don Gronquist, Gronquist, I guess you say, Mm -hmm. G-R-O-N-Q-I-S-T. Now, check out some of the taglines on this one. The Nightmare Begins When You Wake Up. On the back, it says, Unhinged, Outsold Poltergeist Before (laughs) Band. (laughs) <laughs> those, those cool things that they put out on DVDs but it contains nude, violence, language disturbing themes and such um, this movie's actually a pretty good slasher flick, this one's a story about three women that are going on a trip and their car breaks down and they end up getting some, you know, kind of towed away but they get to this mansion house that's run by this individual and a creepy woman kind of deal and all hell kind of pursues and Uh, A lot of nudity in this one, some pretty decent gore, but I really, really, really enjoy this film for whatever reason. Um, It it does say on the back that graphic violence and full nudity, because this does show full nudity. I mean, I'm not porn nudity, but you do see full frontal and stuff like that, Um, but it does say that... um, due to the violence of full nudity it caused the English Parliament to ban Unhinged in 1985 uh, kind of the year of the, the DVD and all that crap uh, but fans agreed as virtually every copy was pulled from the shelves worldwide and now it's back on DVD uh, the DVD I have it looks really good it's got a comedy narration and some different things going on but this is one of those films that it's not a perfect film but the premise of it is pretty cool kind of your slasher film Jay it, it is you know you got your Mm-hmm. your killer and your victim. But this is a whodunit style. You don't know if the killer's this individual. They got a few herons. They show out. Uh, it's a cool setting. It's out in the middle of the woods. Um, there's a scene where they're trying to escape. It's a big rainstorm, and they're trying to escape, and they're going through the woods, and, you know, killer kind of deal. But a uh, really cool film. I think you should definitely check it out, Unhinged. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I watch this every year, typically.
0: You know, Jason Dragon backs you on that. Uh, Greg Amortis hits in his honorable mentions. He says, interesting twist ending for a slasher yes. that will entertain most.
3: A very good twist ending.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. I will agree. All right. That's Unhinged from 1982. Thanks. And uh, what do you have, Dr. Shock, for 1982?
2: All right. I think I'm going to make uh, David from the UK hat. I'm going to talk about Basket Case. <laughs> uh, yes. Directed by Frank uh, Hennenlauter. Yes. I believe this was his uh, debut, uh, feature, uh, debut feature film debut feature film. And it's about a guy. Uh, his name is uh, Dwayne. And he goes to New York. He's sort of from a small town. He goes to New York City. He's got some money in his pocket and he's got a large wicker basket with him. And inside the basket is his, uh, um, we come to find out, his, his brother, his Siamese twin brother, um, goes by the name Belial. Uh, but he's not exactly, he doesn't exactly look like Dwayne. As a matter of fact, he's just sort of this splat, <laughs> this fleshy splat uh, with arms, eyes, and a pretty acidic personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they've uh, they've come to the big city. What they're doing is they're looking for the uh, revenge on the doctors that performed the separation surgery, because now that the, you know that they're apart, um, you know I guess things aren't going so well for them. Uh, this this was a low budget, um, according to the the, the head and shoulders, it was like thirty five thousand. Um, I think one of the more interesting things about it, and I saw this in the extra features. I got the Blu Ray for this is that the, there are several scenes set at a front desk of this hotel, like this hotel that he's staying at, um, or this, not a, I guess is a hotel, the, wherever he's staying at, the, the The front desk. The front desk was set up in a freight elevator where they put a desk there, and the guy was actually sitting in the elevator. That's what they were using for the front desk in this building. Wow. <laughs> uh, um, so it was like really just this, a, a very sort of, like we said last week, guerrilla filmmaking and, and very low budget. I mean, there's a scene where um, where one character is running naked through the streets of New York, and it was supposedly filmed on a day that was sub-freezing, or a night, I should say, that was below freezing. Um, so uh, I think that, that... But it is... it is it, What makes it, it, it interesting, I think, is just the character of, of Belial and what they were able to to do with the low budget. I mean, yeah, there's there's a little bit of comedy in it, but um, you know, it, it's also a very disturbing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see how these guys are sort of connected to each other, you know, and 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 um, uh, some of what happened, you know, that, that that they really got the most out of that thirty five thousand dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, they really did. It's it's freaky for sure, and Kagan agrees with you too, Doctor Chow. K- Kagan wrote in about this one. He said, "Basket Case is a movie that, in some ways, is so bad it's good, but in mm. other ways, it's genuinely very good. The movie is a self-aware Uh-oh. joke, uh, but the audience is in on the joke. While the absurdity is undeniable, the film actually has a lot of heart. Overall." A somewhat paradoxical experience, starring a monster that is simultaneously funny in its crudeness and viscerally scary for the same reason. And I, I couldn't agree more. That's great, Kate. Yeah. Uh huh. My only, my only lament about this movie is, I, I kind of wish this could be one of those obscure gems that only a few people know about. You know what I mean? But it's, uh-huh. it's almost like it's been talked about and appreciated so much for what it's it but for the oddity that it is in the cinema that it's almost like not cool do you know what I mean it's not as cool anymore because it's not obscure kind of thing right I, don't know. Yeah, I, I,
4: guess
2: I, I guess I could I guess I uh yeah I knew I knew I do know what you're talking about yeah I know
0: what you're talking about but that's cool I'm glad you mentioned it so this basket case from 1982 Now, we're going to move into Wolfman Josh's feature review of Visiting Hours. In this hospital, your next visit may be your last. All visitors, please leave the
3: hospital.
1: Visiting Hours is a 1982 film directed by Jean-Claude Lord and written by Brian Taggart. And this one stars Lee Grant and Linda Pearl as an appearance or appearances by William Shatner. And really the, the big star of this film is Michael Ironside (laughs) as uh, a brutal killer. Yeah. And Colt Hawker and visiting hours is just one of those movies. I I really enjoy it a lot. It, It feels like, I don't know. I can see people even maybe arguing that this is more of a thriller because it feels like a real movie, if that doesn't sound too uh, dismissive of the slasher genre. It feels like a studio film trying to kind of tell a story of you know a troubled person, but it has all of the hallmarks we'd expect from a slasher still. Maybe it's closer to giallo. Maybe this is what um, Jason Dragon was referring to as like an American giallo, but... Uh, I really enjoy visiting hours. Basically what you have here is um, kind of a television news reporter played by Lee Grant, who is kind of an outspoken feminist person. And she makes some statements on air in the opening scene of the film um, that get her in trouble with our misogynistic killer. And so she goes home and is soon attacked Uh, by this killer and he believes that she's dead. And then he finds out that she's actually survived. And so he goes to the hospital where the majority of this film takes place in a bit of a Halloween two kind of a scenario. We've got a killer inside, you know, stalking people in this hospital for the rest of the film. And it's not just one dark night where most of the lights are off in the hospital, like in Halloween two, um, This is taking place over several days where he is doing just some crazy things in this hospital, dressing up like EMTs, dressing up like surgeons. Um, and he really terrorizes this woman and then knocks off several other people along the way. The fascinating thing about this film structurally that makes it kind of so strange is that our protagonist shifts throughout the film between lee grant and linda pearl linda pearl who i mostly recognize from her work on matlock she played matlock's <laughs> daughter for several seasons um but she was in a lot of television like most people would recognize her and if um anyone's seen the office jay she is uh, pam beasley's mom in the in the office mm, perfect She's-
2: she she was also Fonzie's girlfriend in the last couple of years of Happy
1: Days. <laughs> yeah, she she's worked a lot on television, um, but she's great in this role as this nurse. And it's just weird, like structurally, it's so strange. And what I think it does, I don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally, is it really makes Michael Ironside our killer the main character because our oh. two women who were you know stalking it, it kind of changes back and forth between them. I wish there was more William Shatner here. I really like when he's on the screen. He plays <laughs> the producer of the television show. Who I don't know. Sometimes he seems really sweet. Sometimes he seems kind of kind of slimy. And um, he's kind of the the watcher, protector, maybe love interest of Lee Grant. But um, but he's really he's not a major factor. He's not in the film.
2: It's, it sounds like from your description that Shatner being Shatner.
1: Yeah. You know, it's really, it's really Ironside's movie, and it gets deep into his psychology, which again is kind of rare for the slasher genre and feels maybe more thriller esque or more mainstream movie, where we really start to see. Uh, we spend a lot of time with him. We spend a time with him away from the hospital as, as he's kind of like interacting with other women in his personal life and seeing flashbacks to what made him the way he is. Um, but it's interesting. Like it's almost like copycat or something <laughs> in that way. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is a body count, you know, and there's, um, there's some great kills. And I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's a really interesting movie. It's my favorite all time horror movie poster. Probably if I had to pick one, I was going to say, I do love that poster.
0: Yeah. But I will awesome. say
1: the poster and the movie don't necessarily line up in terms of tone. Like I don't, the poster does not feel like what the movie feels like. To mm-hmm. me. But I am a fan of the film and the poster, <laughs> and um, it's definitely worth checking out.
0: You, you know, when when you hear that premise, you know, that you, there was an attempted murder and she survived, and he goes to the hospital to try to finish her off. I wonder sometimes if, if that premise was inspired somewhat by, like, the first Godfather, because there's a, a character that was attempted murder, and then went to the hospital, survived it, and then... They're trying to finish the job. You know, I just wonder about that. If that oh, yeah,
1: it's that. interesting. And it's like the, it's, except for it's the psycho killer. And so rather than a hit, we're, we're very used to seeing kind of the scene at the hospital where someone slides in and has a syringe and, you mm-hmm. know, squeezes it into the person's, you know, yeah. IV or whatever. But right. This is not that. It's, it's more sadistic and, um, you know, like there's a scene uh, in minor spoiler. I just want to talk about this one scene. I won't say exactly what happens at the end of it, but basically, you know, this woman is going into surgery and Michael Ironside has dis- killed uh, a surgeon and disguised himself as someone on the surgical staff. Oof. And she is being given uh, the drugs to fall asleep. And when she recognizes him, as part of the medical staff.
0: Oh my goodness! So,
1: that
2: wow. That don't
1: is psychologically
2: so terrifying. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely.
1: Well, so there's there's some really cool things in this film. It's it's definitely one I recommend people watch. But I'm um, nice. not necessarily traditional slasher, although you know, again, it has some of the hallmark elements. For some reason, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, does feel a little bit more like a thriller, just in terms of the way the scenes are handled. I guess I don't know.
0: So what do you rate visiting hours? Oh fan Josh. Uh,
1: I really like uh visiting hours. I'm gonna give it a seven point five and I say buy it.
0: Okay, excellent. It was streaming on Netflix like forever. Like for a long time. I don't know if it still is, but I just wanna sure. it. Oh,
2: nice. Yeah. And Michael Ironside is another one of those those actors who I always enjoy uh seeing in a movie. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, this even is one of his better roles, to be honest. He's, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but he has a, a huge presence on screen. Nice. <laughs> um, this is a film of, uh, you know, the, the silent... I mean, I don't know. There is the silent stalker aspect, but you really spend time with him. I don't know. It's interesting. It's really interesting.
0: <laughs> nice. All right. So that's um, visiting hours. And Josh says it's a 7.5 out of 10 says buy it. Okay.
1: It not currently streaming on uh, Netflix anymore, but it is available on DVD through Netflix. If anyone still has that service.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if anybody does that. Um,
1: okay. So from
0: 1982, there's one called honeymoon horror. And um, it's funny because I'm kind of attracted to that title. Cause like, my honeymoon was kind of horrifying. Not for the reasons you might think, <laughs> but, but, uh, we, we stayed, let me, okay. Quick story time. We'll be real fast. We stayed in this, um, Lake house in Tennessee of this couple that were like, uh, presumably <laughs> friends of the family, but apparently not because they were both nut jobs. And I'm serious about that. And, um, <laughs> we were, seriously nervous at night because we could hear them like being nut jobs and we would lock our door and it was really nerve wracking anyways we survived it thank goodness and this movie here is um probably more exciting it's called honeymoon horror (laughs) the premise is imagine every newlyweds fantasy a rustic secluded lover's paradise honeymoon island and what starts as a weekend of love turns into a nightmare of blood and terror. Anyways, this is directed by Harry Preston. I have not seen it, but the title's intriguing. You guys seen this?
3: No. Uh, probably, but not ringing a bell. But I would say there a lot of these movies would have been VHS watches when I was a kid, but yeah. I'd have to revisit. I gotcha.
0: Okay. Well, what do you got for 1982 Greg Amortis?
3: Well, it would be a tragedy if this one wasn't mentioned. They would probably kick me off of every show. But one of my all-time favorite films, Halloween, number three, <laughs> Season yeah. of the Witch. Ooh. I love this film. It gets so much crap, and I don't care what people say. I absolutely love this film. <laughs> uh, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace and starring the great uh, Tom Atkins as Dr. Dan Chalice. And you got Stacey Nelkin playing the character Ellie Grimbridge. And her dad has died or, or disappeared, and she's on the hunt. And that's when you meet old Colonel Cochran, played by the great Dan O'Harely. And, uh, man, it's just such a fun film, man. This, this to me, and I've said this maybe on here or somewhere. Jay, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has one of the most, u- not unique, but one of the most scariest premises in a horror film ever especially Slasher, and you say, what are you talking about, Greg Morris? You're stupid. No, it's not. (laughs) If you look at what's taking place, (laughs) and and this is my argument with people, maybe it didn't come out quite like they wrote it, but let me say this. What is any scarier than the premise of this? You have got Halloween masks that kids are going to wear on Halloween night And at 9 o'clock at night, they're going to watch TV and watch this commercial that is the most aggravating and, and, oh my God, I don't want to get into the Silver Shamrock quite yet. But anyway, (laughs) kids are watching this at 9 o'clock and instantly they're going to be zapped and their heads are going to explode and they're going to have snakes and bugs. It will wipe out every generation of kids that watch this, so... What scarier premise is that? Not the adults. This is going after kids. And Ooh. I just, I, oh my God, I love it. And uh, then you got the Silver Shamrock song. Yeah. Eight more days to Halloween. That gets in your <laughs> head. You'll <grab laughs> never it out. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. you've
1: got to put that in the show. you gotta put yeah, it in you, you
0: got to put okay. it in there. Yeah. Yep. All right, we'll <laughs> put it in right <laughs> here. Happy, Happy
4: Halloween. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the marathon and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and
2: don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Abby, happy Halloween.
0: Yes yeah okay I, I hope everybody's glad I did that <laughs> yeah are you
2: putting in every incantation are you gonna put it count down no just seven?
0: just <laughs> once is enough that's okay. plenty
3: <laughs> uh, that used to be my ringtone and I need to make it my ringtone again I just I oh, love it but no nah, I mean this is not Tom Atkins's best role by any means but still it's Tom Atkins I mean to me he's mm-hmm. he's king I love Tom Atkins and pretty much everything he's in uh Nancy. Keys or whatever you want to call her, Annie Loomis, however you want to call her from Halloween 1 and 2, she appears in this one. And I uh, uh, just love, it, love, it, love, it, love this
0: movie. Excellent. That's Halloween 3. I this
1: one during our Halloween coverage on episode 27 for movie podcast, but it looks like um we had Greg Amortis on for Halloween 2. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then he dropped out and we had Kenny... The Pumpkin Caperton. King Caperton on for Halloween 3 season of the witch. Yes. So uh unfortunately we didn't get Greg's review but luckily we have it now. So that's awesome. There we go. Yes.
3: Awesome. Yeah, Halloween 3 is a must own. One of my favorites in the whole series.
0: Which Bam. is surprising to me just because of the, you know. I mean there's a a tiny tiny touch of Michael Myers, right? <laughs> but but not very much so I, you know, as knowing how much you love Michael Myers. I thought Absolutely but this
3: is, I do see the argument guys. I do know why people crap on it. I do. I I get that. So I'm not downing anybody that dislikes it because of that. If it was a standalone film, I think it would have been better. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Than putting it in the the franchise, but still I just, I love the whole story plot of this one. And I love Tommy Lee Wallace. uh, And then you had the beautiful Stacy and Tom Atkins getting his freak on. It's just, I love it.
0: <laughs> well, Go that ahead. that poster art is one of my favorites. Um, that, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's stuck with me like my whole life. We we got to do a, a top ten episode of our favorite poster. horror posters, yeah. guys. Yes, that would be cool. That's got to be I mean, a does, theme.
3: Does Halloween three the poster not scream Halloween? I mean, to that has the kids, the backdrop. It's just I'm gonna tattoo it on my body. It's gonna be on my
0: body. <laughs> it is freaky. Uh-huh. For sure. Okay. I like it. Well, that's uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. All right, uh, Dr. Shock, what do you have for 1982?
2: Okay. Now, this is one I, I haven't seen, but I got to tell you, this uh, synopsis that I'm seeing on IMDb is so unusual that I thought it would be one um, that I would definitely love to check out. It's called Deadly Games. Mm-hmm. And listen, listen to the synopsis. Tell me if this doesn't stand out. A town is being terrorized by a mass killer who is murdering women. A young woman is attacked by the killer but escapes. Now, come on. Now, that that is like nothing like any other slasher I've ever seen.
4: <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> I mean, that that alone makes it worth seeing. So I don't know anything about this movie. Um, It was directed by Scott Mansfield, uh, stars Alexandra Morgan, Joanne Harris, Sam Groom. But based on that synopsis, I say... It's pretty much just like any, (laughs) any other of your typical slashers. Um, and they couldn't even find anything typical to say about it. So
0: falls into the, uh, the paradigm, right? Yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) All right. There you go. And that's called deadly games games. Yes. That's right. Okay. Wolfman Josh, what do you have for 1982?
1: Guys, I think I might be tapped out here on the stuff I've seen. Um, <laughs> the Icebox Murders looks interesting. It's one I've never gotten around to, aka El Seppo. But um, yeah, tell
0: what's the what's it say about that one? Um, El Seppo. Yeah, Icebox um, Murders. I like that title. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it says that a maniacal or a maniac murders beautiful women, then stores their bodies in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah i mean the the poster's cool yeah that's a theme that we've got going but
0: okay i'm trying to find it that's uh, yeah
1: it would be on uh imdb under el space cepo okay but in the us it's known as the icebox murders
3: nice not to be confused with c3po either uh, right <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I do see a user review here on imdb that says toolbox murders the saint <laughs> <Yeah. So. laughs> well there you go <laughs> oh,
0: yeah keep reading that josh let's hear it from hamburger this is the person who wrote this is hamburger
1: oh you want to you want to hear the full if, user review if you don't mind <laughs> Thank you. With the name of The Icebox Murders, I was expecting something in the vein of gruesome goings-on and plenty of fake-looking frozen corpses. Instead what I got was a lot of overly talky characters and dull moments. There's absolutely nothing, I repeat, nothing noteworthy in the film. It is slow, boring, dull, and poorly made, adding to your already tiresome state if you make it all the way through. I keep thinking, okay, something good is bound to happen now. But at last the movie ended and I was completely let down. Even the killer's disguise, when it is revealed, is just ridiculous. I am not even going to mention the acting. You <laughs> know where I'm going with this. Steer clear of this Spanish border fest and watch something gnashy or Franco- for your Spaniard fix again, toolbox murders. This ain't.
0: That sounds like a very
1: J of the Dead kind of review to me.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. I don't great. think
2: so because he didn't. He didn't time anything.
0: That's true. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did say it was slow, boring, and dull. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so. From 1982, there's a movie called Night Warning. It's also known as uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. But I think I like Night Warning. But anyway, the premise is (laughs) an orphan teenager finds himself being dominated by his aunt, who's hell-bent on keeping him with her at all costs. This is uh, directed by William Asher and Jason Dragon. Um, He says this deals with issues far ahead of its time also known as One Night Warning. So this is in his honorable mentions. Something to check out. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one, Greg Mortis?
3: I have, and I actually thought it was pretty good. It has Bill Paxton in it. Oh, excellent. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a decent watch. It's it's worth a watch. I wouldn't buy it, you know, rush out and spend 20 bucks for it, but it's worth a viewing.
0: Right. At this point, let's move into Greg Mortis's feature review of Girls' Night Out. You know it really turns me on? I love to be scared. But lately, things are getting weird. I don't want to be here. I want to go over right now. I don't
3: want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't to see Janie. Woo! It's Girls Night Out. Just actually re this again today, and it, I've seen it a few times now. But check this out. Girls Night Out. The next time you go to a fancy dress party, check who's going with you. And then the back of it says, you know what really turns me on? I love to be scared. Um you're not gonna be scared in this movie, fans, at all. Uh, but it is a decent <laughs> slasher flick. This is a the premise is it's a high school basketball game going on. And then there's these this bear mascot and cheerleaders, there's gonna be a scavenger hunt that night and it's just a lot of shenanigans going on with the party and then the scavenger hunt. And then you got this killer that, that domes the bear costume and going around and not very good kill fashion. I mean, it's I'm going to be honest, the the gore in this one is right near zero. But, you know, it's kind of off camera and then you'll see some blood and that kind of deal. But it's a pretty damn I'm sorry, PG, pretty darn good (laughs) slasher flick. I'm telling you, it really is. It has the whole premise. Um, You can't really pick out who is going to be the survivor in this movie. You really can't because all the girls in this one are kind of your promiscuous style. So you're kind of in the limbo. Um, You also got two best friends. You got these two guys. One is called... um, Oh good. Maniac. Oh god, what did he call himself? And I just watched it and I forget his name in the the actual I think he called him the Maniac or something like that. But anyways, these two guys that have a really, really extremely weird close relationship. We'll put it there. And <laughs> 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 Woo. Uh but anyways, um, brothers better than brothers. But anyways, but it's just a decent slasher flick. You've got now check this out, Doc, you'll like this. You got Hal Hallbrook in this one. Cool. Okay. Nice. Now Nice little tidbit about Hal Hallbrook's character in this one. He plays the uh, campus uh, cop, okay? So, what happens in here, and I'm sorry, it's not high school, it's college. I'm sorry, college, not high school, college. But he plays the campus security guard, which ends up being more like he's a straight-up cop. Uh, But his character, when they brought him in, I guess for budgetary reasons, he's only there for shooting one day. Now, majority of his scenes, they recorded... At a different time. They brought him in and he basically off camera by himself were doing these scenes and then through editing they brought in the other characters to make it look like they were on set at the same time, but they weren't through a majority of this movie. It was just him mm-hmm. talking to a camera and then through editing they would add in and they did a flawless job. You couldn't tell it. Uh so really good but yeah, Hal's in this movie, but he was only in it for, you know, one day as far as the shooting. Uh but pretty good and it's one of those that it's a who done it you don't know who the killer is could the killer be this individual or that individual and i love the whole scavenger hunt deal uh the killer does this weird voice he kind of calls in to the radio dj host that they're basically announcing uh every hour they're giving you tips or or um hints on where the items are at that they need to collect well the killer would call in and say uh, so-and-so is dead, so-and-so's next, and it's kind of that deal, and he's picking off the girls one by one. And uh, just a pretty good film, man. I thought it was decently made. It's definitely a really low-budget film. Uh does have, now check this out, Julie Montgomery, Julia Montgomery, who was in uh, Revenge of the Nerds and different movies. So it's got some mm-hmm. young people in it that you would recognize. The IMDb poster looks completely horrible. it's got like three women and it's horrible. (laughs) Right. You can get this DVD for $14.99 on Amazon. And it actually has a very cool looking retro. It's the Slasher collection. Uh, It's the one I own. It's from um, Guilty Pleasures is the uh, release company. Um, I recommend it, man. Pick it up. $14.99. Why not? I've watched it several times and love it. So (laughs) get it get you slash your slasher on girls' night out. What, what do you rate it out of ten, Greg Mortis? I would give this one a seven point five, and tell you to go ahead and pick it up and watch it. You'll like it. No nudity, uh, or I think it does have a little flash of a nipple, but no nudity. But still, well worth the watch.
0: Okay, one last. Even so, yeah. So I, even, even, so. <laughs> even even with that. Even
2: though, even <laughs> only one nipple.
3: Jay of the Dead, it's Greg in Toledo. And it's the 13th of October. Not quite a Friday, but still is spooky. I hope that your October 31 Days of Horror is going great. Can't wait to hear the new podcast. Enjoy your day, and I'm dead serious about horror
0: movies. All right. Thanks, Greg Mortis. So now we can, Um, there are actually more films to discuss in 1982, of course. I mean, this is like the heyday of slashers, as Wolfman Josh said. But we need to get moving into 1983 here shortly. So what I'm going to do is just kind of go down through the list and just hit the titles. And if anybody has any comments or something, like uh, we were just talking about um, Death Screams, how it had an interesting poster. Right, guys? You yep. got you got um Absolutely. kids stocked at a town fair. That sounds interesting. And then you got um of course Madman. We talked about Madman last week. It's one of uh Gregor Mortis's favorites, Madman Mars. Also I think that was eighty
2: I think that was eighty one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we, we put it in there as 81. It comes up on some lists as 82. I just wanted to mention it in case somebody... Oh,
2: I, th- I I think I'm on the same page you are, Jay, and it actually says 81 here also, if you look at the year.
0: Yeah, IMDb says 81, and that was for the Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I guess maybe that was their <laughs> premiere. And then the wide release was January 1st, 1982. I don't even know if okay. I believe that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> this one is not to be confused with I, Madman from 1989. But uh, Gray Imp said that this was the most underrated Woods Camp slasher. Awesome music, plus the monster Madman Mars is brutal, and the cast is very likable. And I know Greg Amortis loves this one, right, Greg? I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and we, and yeah we mentioned it last time, and um, Jason Dragon was saying it was one of the best cropsy stories. Okay. Then there's The the Slayer from 1982. <clears throat> that one's on the list, and uh, Tenabra.
1: More supernatural, though, isn't it?
0: i don't know i don't know I mean, the, it's
1: like a monster movie is a fair call i have to, I, have to look. I haven't seen it for years but
0: yeah supernatural beast yep exactly yes yeah, some of these might be sketchy they might not be 100 percent slasher because uh um, i'm pulling these on just research lists that i tried to pull up tenebra or tenebrae oh. <laughs> right that's a serial oh. killer one dario argento argento that's right and then, uh, Blood Link, right? I don't know if you guys yeah. have heard of that one. And uh, the nope. the clairvoyant. This is um, one of those. I, I wonder a little bit if um, Minority Report drew upon this, where you got a person who can see the killer's crimes before they're committed. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> you got one called yeah. Blood Song. Um, you got a psychopath escapes a mental institution. Yeah. Good times, right?
1: That's AKA. um, What is that one? AKA Dream Slayer.
0: Dream Slayer. Okay.
3: Nice.
0: Yeah. And he ends up pursuing um, um, a differently abled girl. Um, And and then we have a boarding house, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Uh Which is one of the ones. And, and, And then Midnight sounds really interesting to me. Teenage Runaways traveling cross country they encounter some satanists that sounds crazy um Hmm. this one came up on the lists that i was looking through but i honestly don't believe it till death do us part it was a tv movie but if you look at the cover art i'm like there's no way that's a slasher flick (laughs) so i don't know about that it looks really dumb um and then superstition from 1982 it's kind of a witch movie so i don't know how that would be a slasher but and then Killer's Moon which was released in the UK in 1978 so technically a 70s film but but they
2: but they re-released it at this time and it was a big hit yeah that's yeah.
0: right yeah that has exactly
2: what i think would be one of the most well i guess controversial lo- lines of dialogue in a movie where these it's it takes place at this this house with these young girls almost like a, a boarding school type of situation and these three guys dressed very much like um, the droogs from uh, Clockwork Orange uh, break in. They escape from a mental hospital. And one of them, um, you know, uh, sexually assaults this one girl. Well, as they're sitting there, you know, the girl who was sexually assaulted is crying and she's upset. Well, the other girl leans over and goes, look, you were only raped. If you just don't tell anybody about it, it'll be okay.
0: <laughs> wow. That's terrible. Wow.
2: Yeah. 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 That, <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Only. Oh my- that's like the worst possible dialogue. That's terrible.
2: It, it really yeah. is. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking when they wrote that line, but that is the line of dialogue from that movie.
0: Hmm. That, that's almost as crazy as the line in uh, Shark Attack 3, The Megalodon. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know that line. No. I can't even say it on this podcast. But anyways, um, okay. The Scorpion with Two Tails from 1982 Mm. I don't know about this. Is some kind of archaeologist tombs, blah blah blah. I don't know if that's, uh, island of blood. How about that one? That that sounds good. Filming on a remote island, a low bus low budget film cast crew fall prey to a mysterious killer who wants to make a real life snuff film. I, I like know.
1: that kind of premise.
0: Yeah, island yeah. yeah. <laughs> of blood. That's a good one. And then there's a TV movie called Don't Go to Sleep. Um, I don't, don't
3: remember that one. There's know. a lot of 82 that just was a blur. To me.
0: <laughs> I know, right? What about Dark Sanity? Um, you got a woman with psychic visions and you get, it seems like you got a lot of supernatural blended in in 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and then Next of Kin, and no, this isn't the Patrick Swayze film. This is different.
3: <laughs> I, was <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, This is
0: 82 Next of Kin and it's about old people, and anyways, yeah, look that up if you guys are interested. And then, and then, guys, class reunion came up on here National Lampoons because it's Lizzie mm. Borden's high, Lizzie Borden High, class of 72. Going through uh, the really, yeah. And then there's a deranged alum. I, I guess I'm not even familiar with this, but I didn't know any <laughs> of the National Lampoons movies were or maybe it's horror comedy but i don't
3: know. I would think so i didn't even know they had anything that way far back but yeah well i guess they did yeah
0: it's called the yeah, class reunion on that one and then one of my favorite poster arts is uh, the cinder i love that but it's about a telepathic guy so i don't i don't know if that's a slasher or not so let's let's move oh one last one from from gray imp okay night beast and if you look at this poster Mm-hmm. you might be a little mad at gray ump okay night beast all one word he <laughs> says he says wow this had some ridiculous acting and a hilarious monster alien who zaps people into nothing great fun though available in amazon prime free streaming mm-hmm. as i type <laughs> so there you go
3: wow oh, there you go
0: <laughs> all
1: right And do we ever talk about who done it
0: is the movie that's, called who done it
1: the, the uh,
2: that's an alternate title, I think, for what was the one you just mentioned, Jay? Who Done It? I saw the post.
0: I think that's Island, uh, Island of, Blood. of Blood. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Ah.
0: Okay. Island of Blood is Who Done It. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that one has a great premise. All right, now we're ready to discuss the slasher films of 1983. I'm gonna just kick it off with one that I learned from uh, Bill Shetty on our Best of the 80s and 90s episode. <laughs> it was oh. called Microwave Massacre. Bill Shetty says it's cheesy, over-the-top slasher flick with lots of blood. This guy's fed up with his wife's bad cooking, and so he kills her and turns to cannibalism to satisfy his appetite. That sounds like a terrible idea. Um,
3: It's a terrible idea, but actually a a (laughs) really gory good. It's a good time, and Arrow Video (laughs) released this on Blu-ray, believe it or not.
0: Wow. Microwave Massacre. With a title like that can't go wrong okay what do you say for 1983 Greg mortis well
3: let's just knock it out of the park let's go with psycho 2 83 nice psycho 2 the return of norman bates man anthony perkins an excellent dude this is one of those sequels that is almost as good as the original psycho Uh 2 is that freaking good i love this movie so much man it you know, after however many years it was, 60, when did um, Psycho, 1960, so you're talking twenty twenty three 23
2: years, 23
3: yeah. years later, and he picks right back up and looks just look, of course looks older, but I mean, it's Anthony Perkins, man. He just revising that role and it, it God, it's just as scary as the original, if not scarier because it's modern and uh, just a great, great, great film, man. Love this mm. one
1: absolutely it's hard for me to compare anything to the original psycho i Mm. I kind of almost feel the way about because i love all the psycho sequels actually this is a franchise i'd like to cover at some point but um i kind of feel the way about this one as i do about halloween 3 i Mm. love it i love psycho 2 but i kind of think of it as almost a totally different film than the first one okay um i also Uh actually really like psycho 4 um not to get too ahead of ourselves, but <laughs> I, I, that's a made for TV movie. That's pr- probably by all accounts, pretty bad and maybe redundant now that we've got Bates motel, but I love all the backstory. psycho Psycho Four.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I like this. The psycho two is just one of those ones. It's like, uh, it, it switches it up somewhat from, from the first film as to who is the protagonist and who is the antagonist, mm-hmm. you know, without going too deep into it. And, um,
3: yeah, this that's
2: what this, I loved is, about it. I did, too. And and I, I really did like um, it's just I, this was a cable movie for me. Every time this was on cable back, I would always just sit down and watch it. I just really yeah, loved
0: it. Yeah, I'm with you guys. This was actually the first one that I saw. I saw this before I saw 1960 Psycho. So it was like the original oh. to me, like in my mind for a long time. Nice, And it's exceptional. Um, Some people call this a masterpiece. In fact, um, Jason Dragon had it as number 11 in his top 20. He said, why is this not considered a borderline masterpiece? The best direct (laughs) horror sequel to a masterpiece. So Jonathan Watkins had it in his top 10 at number three. He said, how is a 23-year-later follow-up to one of the greatest movies of all time? Any good. Psycho 2 defies all odds. Probably not a slasher film in the 80s. More fun than this one. And then Joe Burnett had it at number three on his. So great, great pick, Greg Amortis. Nice. Okay. And what do you have for uh, 1983, Dr. Shock?
2: Okay, I'm going to go with a somewhat big one too. Uh, The House of Sorority Row. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yes. And this is about seven college. Uh, I'm looking at my review here and I just have it. The, The first sentence is... Uh, the story of seven college graduates, one bitchy house mother, and a prank that goes very, very wrong. <laughs> I think that kind of sums it up right there um, it, there's this I remember there's this one very interesting scene in this where you have the girls just sort of going around the room. you know there's something very bad had happened, and um, they're trying to cover it up and it, it's just interesting that the way that the the, the, the director um, uh, Mark roseman um, shot this, he just kind of has the camera going around looking at each girl who, as this party is going on and everyone else is having this great time that they, you could tell on their faces that they just can't get what happened earlier in the day out of their mind. Um, and I like that, but then it also is, uh, in many ways, just a, uh, a, a slasher film, you know? Um, and, uh, you get, uh, some, some kills, you know, one guy uh, gets it in the neck and, um, There's, you know, it has a chair of those as well. Um, But I just remember this was uh, one that um, I know it was remade as um, a sorority, sorority row. Um, But but, uh, I just I always kind of like this, this original.
0: Well, I love the the idea of a prank going wrong. That's one of my yes. favorite things in, mm-hmm. in, in the, I mean, in the fact that they're trying to cover it up. And this sounds familiar. Did we talk about this one a little bit last time? I don't know. I'm so mixed and up. Not
2: last time. I think we might have, this might have been one of the movies we covered on um, the old, um, mm-hmm.
0: uh, the, the, what was it? The, the Weekly the, Horror uh, Movie uh, Podcast. The
2: Weekly Horror Movie Podcast. I think we might have covered this one on, on yes. that podcast.
0: Correct. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Kagan wrote in about this one, too, Dave. And he says, with its poster and title, The House on Sorority Row sounds disposable, but it functions as a very effective slasher while it is a victim to some of the less desirable slasher tropes, which I don't know what those are, Kagan. But he says it actually carries itself <laughs> along quite nicely with the help of several good kills and more importantly, a gorgeous score by Richard Band. While many slasher films follow suit of Bernard Herman's psycho-esque rip-offs and John Carpenter imitations, this movie has a lush orchestral score more similar to that of Danny Elfman or Jerry Goldsmith. So uh, that's our composer friend uh, Kagan, and Jonathan Watkins put it at number 10 in his top 10. He said another contender for the best WTF ending of all time and best slasher <laughs> costume <laughs> as well as even if it's only for one scene side note the remake from a few years back is my pick for best horror remake of the 21st century Ooh, really words yeah and uh, wow jason dragon says preposterous to the point that it makes me miss college minus anyone being murdered so there you go, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's the house on sorority. i
1: really liked that movie that was was that the i don't know if i was on the episode you guys did that that was for slasher you Oh yeah!
0: Um,
1: oh right, yes.
0: Horror Metropolis. I'm not
1: sure if I was even on that episode, but I really, I really liked that movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so uh, we got Doctor Shock. Now, what do you got, Wolfman Josh, for 1983?
1: Um, 1983. I'm going to go ahead and go with a film that I was always wanting to cover on Horror Metropolis. I never got around to it, and it's been on my list of things to get to on this show, which is a themed episode of films about people who are buried alive. <laughs> uh, this film is called Mortuary. Yes. And to give you an insight into what might be going on here, the AKA title of Mortuary is Embalmed.
4: Yes. <laughs>
1: and uh, It's a really fun movie. I mean, it's, I don't want to get too far into it because I do want to feature review it down the road. But basically, you know, if you remember in Phantasm when uh, the Tall Men's got that embalming uh, wand... You know mm-hmm. when the when he gets hit with the embalming wand. That's that that's what we're dealing with here with our master, I rather face painted killer in this film. So um, it's kind of weirdness going on here, but it's definitely one to check out. And, and hopefully we'll get around to reviewing the uh, buried alive movies eventually.
3: I can't. Uh, wait. I'll back you on that one too, Josh. That is a very good
0: movie to watch.
1: Uh huh.
0: Um. Absolutely. Um, that
1: one actually is um, a limited edition Blu-ray was released in 2012 by Scorpion, and I don't know if that's currently available. The copy I saw was on eBay, but um, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know if people have that limited edition Blu-ray. They only printed like 12,000 copies. I, oh, I wonder wow. what, I know what's on it before I drop the money for it. Yeah. Nice. The DVD is fine and it's easy to get. All right.
0: Excellent. Okay, what about one called uh, Sledgehammer from 1983? It's directed by David A. Pryor. It's a young boy murders his mother and her lover with a hammer. Ten years later, a wave of teenage murders plagues the same area. A great imp wrote about this one, another ultra-low budget with terrible costumes and hair. Drunk drunk college kids get bludgeoned by the Hmm. uh, titular weapon. So... Uh, Greg Morris, have you seen Sledgehammer?
3: Years and years ago, like probably eighty four.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay.
3: I remember oh. as a as a young tyke, I would have been teenage years. I remember really being kind of creeped out and grossed out a little bit by it, but that was when I was very young. So that's a definite on my list to rewatch that one. As soon as I saw it on the list, I wrote it down and said search this out, find it, and re-watch it. Because I do remember as a... I was probably 15-ish, 16-ish when I watched this. And I do remember liking it then, but I don't know about now.
0: Okay. I got gotcha. you. It sounds intriguing. I mean, the whole sledgehammer. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's a great... One of my favorite things in slashers is just the weapons that they use. And yes. the, the bigger... Like, the more, like, scary the weapon, I think the more excited I get. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, you don't have any slashers with, like, kazoos, people killing people with kazoos. But <laughs> but I always thought that we should make a slasher flick where somebody kills with, like, a weed eater, like an edge trimmer. That would be brutal. Uh,
3: well, Jason used somewhat of a style of that at one scene.
0: Oh, that's correct. Yes, you're right. All right, sir, what, what do you have for 1983, Greg Amortis?
3: How about a film called Sweet 16, mm. um, directed by Jim Sotos? And uh, this one has a, a familiar face in it. One of the actresses is Dana Kimmel. Uh, you'll know Dana Kimmel from Friday 13th Part 3, uh, the lead actress there. And um, actually has Don Shanks in it as well. And I love Don Shanks, played Michael Myers in Halloween 5. And uh, I love Don Shanks, man. I just, he is such a big dude, too. God bless when I met him. I was like, <laughs> dang. His arms are like freaking, I don't know, man. They're like freaking tree trunks. But, but yeah, this one's a decent slasher flick. Not one of the better ones. But the poster art's really cool. It kind of gives you, if you look at the poster art, you got a woman in water and then a blade coming below her. I kind of almost feel Jaws-esque with that for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But it kind of gives me that Jaws feel. But uh, what terrors, listen this, what terrors are unleashed when a girl turns sweet 16? And uh, just a decent, cool little flick. Melissa um, Morgan, played by Lisa Shirley. Uh, she very beautiful woman by the way Woo-hoo-hoo. uh goes she moves from big city to a small town and you know all the guys she's promiscuous now she's not one of those girls that's <laughs> she likes sex stuff and uh, <laughs> all the guys want to get to know this little girl and you know <laughs> that's when some shenanigans takes place in the killer Uh pretty decent watch sweet 16
0: excellent yeah that, i love that poster art it's it's among my favorites I'd say
3: yeah definitely y'all need to do that poster or I would totally love to listen to y'all talk about (laughs) posters you can be on it you can be on it if you want I need some I got some posters but none as cool as these
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay that's sweet 16 and uh, Dr. Shock. what do you have for 1993?
2: (laughs) I'm going to mention one here uh, more for the director who made it actually I've not seen the movie it's called a night to dismember (laughs) From 1983, the the premise is a woman from a cursed family is released from a uh, mental facility and soon uh, dismembered corpses start turning up. What caught my eye, though, is the director. This is directed by Doris Wishman, um, the the first lady of exploitation uh, filmmaking. Um, This is actually one of the last movies she made. Uh, But you go back, she had directed movies um, like Nude on the Moon uh, she had gotten into, um, you know, a lot of those those sort of, they called them uh, nudie cuties back in the 60s. <laughs> she was uh, made the Chesty Morgan movies, like Deadly Weapons. Um, and her very last film she made in 2002. It was called Dildo Heaven, and she was 90 years old. <laughs>
4: wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's crazy.
2: I'm going to look so, up her. yeah doris wishman had quite a career in um and and not what i would say are uh good movies okay i don't know that she ever made a a great movie um but it was always just sort of interesting to see and i was it was it was i liked it that she got to she stuck around long enough to make a um a slasher movie that's kind of cool
0: yeah it is and obviously that's uh play on the title of the 1958 Titanic movie, A Night, a to, night remember. to Remember. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. That's cool. Okay. Well, thanks, Doctor Shock. That's a night to dismember. <laughs> and uh, Wolfman Josh, what do you have for 1983?
1: Um, I'm gonna go with another trauma film. I don't know how I keep coming up with these, but um, I actually really like this one as well. This one is even lower budget looking than the last one I mentioned. But this one uh, will come up as Frightmare for most Americans who are mm-hmm. going to want to watch this. It's also known as Horror Star and Body Snatchers. But this is a really fun premise for a movie. Um, where it goes isn't the best in terms of execution, but I, I do like it. If you can imagine, um, like, the Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood, if you can imagine that kind of a guy. Or uh, you know, dying, or even, and he really looks a lot like Christopher Lee, the actor here. But but basically, a big horror star passing away, being buried in a mausoleum where people can come and visit his grave, um, and even watch it like a video, uh, you know, a message, a greeting from this guy. (laughs) Hmm. Um, and 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 it's a thing that people do. Well, you find these young drama students; they decide they're going to. Steal this guy's body and take him to an old mansion where a lot of his movies played out. Basically, so I wow. love the premise. <laughs> it's, yeah. You got this horror star uh, being, you know, body snatched from a from a grave and then taken to one of his old locations. What happens is that unleashes kind of a black magic that brings him back to life and he becomes hell bent on. Uh, killing people, uh, basically. Um, so <laughs> it's a supernatural horror film. Um, Jeffrey Combs is in this a couple of years before Reanimator, and it's absolutely worth watching once. I, I I totally recommend checking this one out, and you can find it online from Trauma for free on their YouTube page, and I think they have the uh, DVD is also like available on their store.
0: I love. I love that premise. How they want to pay tribute to him by stealing his body. That's like hey, yeah. that. That's not how you show respect. <laughs> that, <but laughs> <Pleasure> <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. Great. All right. Well, thank you. That's called Frightmare from 1983. I'll go ahead and move into my feature review of Curtains.
3: Behind every curtain, someone is waiting. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Someone is watching. Someone is hiding. What waits behind the curtains
3: is exciting, frightening, sensual,
4: terrifying, and bizarre curtains reveal what you expect
0: okay guys first thing i want to say about curtains is if you look at the right poster art on this it is incredibly creepy one of my all-time favorite posters
1: i think it's a little suggestive the cover like it can be um oh. Multiple.
0: oh yeah it is it is that's true but i mean just the look of that that face and the in the oh man it, it creeps me out it really does Um, there are a lot of curtains in this movie. Yes. But I also love how the title ends up being a little bit of a double entendre where you've got curtains as a, like referring to like the end of your life. Like when it's death, Uh like uh, it's curtains for me. Anyway, this is about, you got six actresses, um, who are competing for this movie role at this mansion and they're targeted by a mysterious masked murderer. And, um, This is a Canadian horror film. It's one of those whodunit type of mystery slashers. And the first thing I just want to tell people, the reason I picked it is because it's, it has one of the scariest, if not my scariest mask ever for a slasher. It's like this hag mask. And and Greg Morris, tell me if you, tell me if this is blasphemous to you. Um, It's almost like a blend of the Michael Myers mask with the ghost face killer mask. Like if you think about those two morphed together, I see a little Michael Myers. I see a little ghost face killer. It's also got like long stringy orange hair and it's just really unsettling to me. Okay,
3: so I you, love the mask, but I think you're stretching a little bit for me to see Michael and Ghostface. <laughs>
0: yeah, like if you blended them together, I mean, I, I don't know. That's
3: I just see an old lady. I'm mean, out. <laughs> yes, but it is creepy. I love the mask.
0: Super creepy. It really freaks me out. If people can oh. look it up, like on IMDb and the little yes. photo section, they have it right there. But uh, but the mask is scary, right? But also. Um, there's like this when the killer is attacking there's like an exhale grunt kind of mm-hmm. thing like when when the killer is stabbing or striking and it's kind of muffled by the mask but it's extremely creepy and um, I actually have a clip of it here I want you guys to hear it do you hear that <laughs> like, yes. oh yeah. man <laughs> Yeah, you know, when you when you hear that noise and see the mask and and uh, I mean it gives me kind of cold chills actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those movies that opens like with the uh, the title curtains and it kind of drips blood. They have this animation, so you're like, well, what am I in for here? And unlike the horror movies of today, like people have gotten used to in the modern horror, the lighting in the film, like a lot of our modern horror movies are just like bathed in, in shadow. It's just cloaked with darkness. Like a lot of the screen, there's tons of darkness. And well, like this is one of those movies back in the day where it was just really bright and, and like (laughs) brightly lit. It doesn't even feel like a horror movie. But then, you know, things start happening. You know, it has definitely has horror in the daylight. I mean, the most uh, famous scene, there's an ice skating scene in this mm-hmm. where the killer attacks. And that is, is so scary. <laughs> It's scary, huh?
3: No, I'm totally agreeing with you. That whole setup of that, it's daylight, which I love because, like you said, most horror movies take place in the dark. And this one's in broad daylight Mm -hmm. in the snow, which I've always loved movies, especially horror movies that involve snow. Why you waste a beautifully white blanket without throwing red blood all over the place? I don't know. But this film, that whole icon—I call it iconic. It's such a great scene with that ice skating. It's kind of slow motion in parts, and it's just coming right at you, so freaking creepy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's um, I I think, uh, well, and if you were to describe the whole sequence to somebody, it might sound dumb, you know, because yeah. you got this girl who's ice skating, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> this killer comes at her on the ice and it, it might sound silly, but it is not silly the way they film the killer's legs and the skates and the killer slowly starts across the ice, like coming toward the camera the camera yes. going backward and it is horrifying. And just the way the legs look in that mm-hmm. I, I can't, I don't even know how to explain it, but um, there's also a creepy doll that shows up through Aww. this movie And in the face of the doll, I mean, it's not quite like on the Annabelle level, but it is still it's a more realistic type of doll that they might actually have sold in stores. But the the face of the doll, it's an unhappy looking doll. And that's creepy, too. And it's really used Mm -hmm. well. And then this movie has one of my most universal fears in it, guys. And, And my fear probably came from this movie. Um, but have you ever gone out into your garage at night and you go to get in the car and you're kind of worried you're going to see somebody just sitting in your car in your garage? Mm-hmm. Well, th- <laughs> this has that where the hag is sitting in the car. It's so scary to me. But anyways, um, uh, for me, this is, I actually really enjoy this. Um, my biggest complaint with it is with a, a lot of the films from this era, is they're really kind of lethargic and slow moving like that ice skating scene. They show you basically a whole Olympic ice skating sequence. (laughs) I mean, it feels like a long time, at least, at least, I don't know, between one to two minutes. It feels like a lot of ice skating to get to the payoff. I don't know. Maybe I'm just impatient, but, but I mean, they're a little too (laughs) lethargic with it, but uh, still it's an eight out of 10 for me. Uh, This is a buy. And um, this is on Allison with a Y. It's on her list, curtains. Um, Mark H. from the UK. It's in his top five slashers. Jason oh. Dragon calls it the creepiest of all 80s exploitation films. And John Vernon plays in this. He said he commands the screen. You got Jonathan Watkins liking this one. In his top ten, it's number six. He said some of the most well-crafted kill scenes. And he references the scene on the frozen pond as good as it gets. And if you love a good WTF ending, this is one for the ages. And um, there's another modern slasher. I, I won't mention the name of it, but there's one from 2008 that I really love. That I think pulled some of its inspiration from curtains when you get to the reveal um, mm-hmm. of the kill the who done it. But anyways, um, Greg Amortis, what do you rate curtains?
3: I've rated it before, and I cannot off the top of my head think, but I would definitely be in the 8 to 9 range, and I'm with you. I have the Blu-ray, which looks absolutely gorgeous, and I'm wanting to say Synops Films is who released it, Uh, but I highly recommend the Blu-ray. Yes. Oh, my God. Such a good Blu-ray. Excellent.
1: Nice. Yeah, right. I, I really like this one too I, I'm not quite as high on it as you guys but I think it's definitely a classic that people should check out you know we, mm-hmm. I talked about this last time there's so many We obviously we've been talking about them for s- seven hours at this point but <laughs> so many great standalone slashers but I think this one rises up above as one that you know is a must see mm-hmm. um, I'd probably give this one I probably would only give this one like a seven honestly mm-hmm. but I, I'd be okay with a buy it and um, I've been I've been eyeing this Synapse Films Blu-ray, so well worth it. <laughs> you know, I'm actually uh, one of our listeners, Sal Roma. He's been writing along with his own 31 Days of Horror as we've been posting ours, or Dave has been posting mostly his yes. um, at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. dot com. And Sal's left his reviews pretty much every day, and uh, officially with us only once, but you know he's been there every single day posting his films and. Yep. Day 14, Sal posted curtains, his review for curtains, and uh, he was not thrilled. This is a film that he had heard a lot about for years and, um, you know, just only recently got around to watching. But Sal, it seems, is, you know, someone who has been repeatedly disappointed by some of these uh, films that we'd call greats from the 80s. I also want to read the last paragraph of his review here, if you guys are cool with it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sal says overall curtains is a mess of a movie and one that disappointed me greatly. I realized that not every early 80s slasher is going to impress, but I still have expectations. Take 1981's the Prowler, for example, that's another 80s slasher that let me down, but you still had that beautiful (laughs) bastard, Tom Savini deliver the goods with his makeup work. Uh The kills in this movie made the film feel as if it came out at the end of the decade when the MPAA, begin really hitting the horror genre hard with its forced edits. Unless you're a completist and have to watch every slasher from the 80s, I suggest skipping the movie entirely. Go on Amazon and order yourself a copy of its far superior and eerie poster. He gives the movie a 2.5 out of 10.
0: Whoa. Wow!
1: Tough critic, Mr. Sal Roma.
0: Yeah, Sal. Sal Roma! (laughs) Okay, Sal. Well, I'm glad he watched it, though. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So, there you we got go. It. All right. So, that is uh, Curtains. And, Greg Mortis, uh, what do you have for 1983,
3: sir? How about a little film called The Final Terror? Um, this is a decent watch as well. And this is kind of your group of kids kind of deal. Not kid kids, but kids going on this trip and then you got a killer picking them off love the poster art. here we are talking about poster art but the poster art bleeds that whole uh, if you remember like the 50s and 60s when you had like the big bug movies and stuff <laughs> yes. the poster art reminds me of that mm. the final terror uh but this has a very young daryl hannah um also has i was looking at some of the cast because i would forgotten it's been a couple years since i've seen it uh you got Adrian Zmed, which you'll under, uh, recognize him from a lot of TV shows back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. Ernest Hart, and you got Lewis Smith, Rachel Ward, um, Joe Panna. How do you say this guy's name? Joey Joe
2: Pants. Joe yeah. Pants.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Panolino. Uh I know him from Eddie and the Cruisers, but, you know, a lot of other movies, but... Go God, man, I mean, it's yeah Goonies this is a good film to watch man I, I enjoy it Scream Factory or Shout Factory I always get both of them mixed up they do both Scream normally this, the horror but Shout may have done this one but anyways regardless this is available through Shout Factory slash Scream Factory and, and uh, I like it man I think it's pretty cool I agree
0: excellent let's move into Dr. Shuck's feature review of Sleepaway Camp Dear Mom and Dad I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared.
3: Welcome to Sleepaway Camp. Someone is watching you.
0: Hey, Baba Reba!
3: Someone is waiting
2: for you. Okay, Sleepaway Camp. Boy, there's a lot to actually say about this movie uh, directed by Robert Hilsick. Uh, just to give you a quick idea, it opens up with this boating accident uh, where a father is killed and he has his uh, son and daughter in the water with him. Um, right after that, Angela, played by Felissa Rose, uh, one of the kids is, is sent off. To, she, she's living with her um, eccentric Aunt Martha, and I think that's putting it mildly. Uh, Aunt Martha is one of the strangest uh, Guardian characters I've seen in a movie like this. Uh, just the way she talks and, and whatnot. But anyway, summer's coming around and Aunt Martha packs Angela and her son Ricky off to summer camp. Angela's kind of shy, kind of withdrawn, has a hard time fitting in. Ricky's sort of looking after her. He's a little more familiar with the area and, and, and he's been there before. Um you know, but the, some of the girls are, are are sort of picking on Angela. Uh, the thing is, though, um, the more you pick on Angela, um, the worse off you are because not too many people who pick on Angela survive uh, for a very long time. Um, so that's the synopsis. But the, the things about this movie is there's just such a uh, a grittiness to it. You know that with 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 everything with the kill scenes. Um, I think the one that I remember the the most is this guy's just sitting on a sitting in the latrine, you know, doing his business, and all of a sudden a hornet's nest is dropped into his lap. I mean, I can't even imagine Uh, that would be that would be pretty bad. But you know, it's one of several. There are other ones that that happen. Um, But then you get some of the characters in this movie. Uh, I I mentioned Aunt Martha already. She's very bizarre. But then you have the uh, cook the head cook of this camp, a guy named Artie, okay, played by Owen Hughes. Uh, He is a, not just a pedophile, he is a, like, he's a proud pedophile. He wears it like a badge of honor. He is looking at these kids as they're coming off of the bus, and I'm not even going to say some of the lines that he says, because they're they're just, wow. But um, his assistant, uh, Ben, uh, who's actually played by, interestingly enough, James Earl Jones's father, Robert Earl Jones. Um, it turns to Artie and says it, uh, smiling, laughing as he says this, that these girls are way too young for him. And Artie replies, there ain't no such thing as too young. Um, and I thought that was a very interesting thing. I mean, even in 1983, that had to be pushing some envelopes, I would
0: think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um,
2: but um, it's no, not to worry, it's not like Art, um, Artie gets too much of a chance to act on his urges. Uh, but what this movie also has, I think, is it really does have one of the most shocking endings. I mean, it, it takes you and it grabs you by the throat, this ending. And this is one I remember watching and my kids had wandered in. And they've seen some some slashes with me before, and it was not a big deal, you know, no nothing. I, I, this by this point, they had sat through. I think I talked about it. They sat through creep show, um, but they're watching, and that last scene comes on. Wow, they were my. I remember my my younger son. He just had his hands sort of buried in, you know, like you have the monkey, you know, the whole see no evil, hear no evil. He was the hear no evil. He just had his hands like that, just covering up his ears and. and This was right before bedtime, and he looks at me and goes, How are we supposed to go to bed now? (laughs) I mean, they wanted me to throw on a comedy. Yeah. Just so he could get that image out of his mind. I'm kidding. Um yeah, it was it really shook them. Um, you know, more than anything I think I'd ever shown them. I think I they'd seen a few scenes of The Exorcist that didn't bother them, like that ending scene of Sleepaway Camp did. Um so this is one I've always I've always liked, I've always enjoyed Sleepaway Camp. I liked the sequels to a point. I didn't really like the direction they took the the, the two sequels that went after this, because um, it just didn't make any sense to me as to, to as to how they switched up the character. Um, but anyway, I would give this a probably a seven, and I would say it's definitely a rental, and I I would. Uh, you know, I think it's one's worth owning too, even as seven. I think it's worth picking up and putting in the collection.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What do you say, uh, Gregor Morris? What do you rate Sleepaway Camp?
3: Mm, another one that I've rated before and can't remember, but I would definitely say the seven eight range, something around in there, and definitely purchase. Uh, Scream Factory release. Yeah, definitely own it. Does have one of the most shocking endings, mm-hmm. and I've interviewed Jonathan Tierston, Little Ricky in it, and he's a super nice dude. But yeah, Felissa Rose, a beauty. Woohoo! Love you, Felissa. Low <laughs> <Little laughs> kisses to you. Uh, nah, I'm telling you, man. It, I, you cannot not like this movie because just along the ending, but <laughs> some aggravating characters. But I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, and uh, yeah, Jason Dragon had it on his list as well as Joe Brunette and uh, Projectile Varmint agreed that it was the ultimate ending with a twist. And uh, Wolfman, Josh, what do you rate it? Hmm.
1: I have rated this before with Bill Shetty somewhere. I don't remember what I rated it, but um, I like this. It's, it's, a lo- it's really campy. And so, like, the kills are a little ridiculous. They feel almost trauma to me uh, in some of the ways that they're carried out. Like, it's almost like it's a parody of a slasher to me at some points. But then it goes so crazy toward the end. It just gets more and more hardcore. Um, And, yeah, I mean, the ending, right, is insane. And and I wonder now, like, in the climate we're living in now, is it just transphobia that makes it insane? Or is it, I mean, it's clearly more disturbing than just uh, someone being, uh, uh, you know, a trans person. It's actually, you know, there's murder happening as well. Uh... And but, I think it was uh, the
2: look the look on the face too which it's I know so was so disturbing of a mask. yeah
1: it's yeah. About, yeah the above the shoulders portion is more disturbing than the below the waist right. portion right um but it yeah it's definitely something that kind of scarred me in some way and I don't know mm-hmm. I I wonder about the politics of that now and how this movie would be talked about now kind of in the era we're living in but yeah um yeah, I don't know. I I think I would probably put this in the as a film in like the six point five range, but it is another classic that I feel like people should definitely make sure they see. Okay, yeah. and I I would call this a buy it.
0: Buy it. Okay. Yeah, for me, like at the end, for me, like it's the hissing. I think that like right. the hissing,
1: yeah. <laughs> like that. It's all disturbing. It's, it, it really, really is right. the all whole.
0: <laughs> yeah, I almost I almost said um. The whole package, which would have been (laughs) really, really dumb. But I meant like, yeah, the hissing really bothered me. But yeah, I think it is most notable for its ending. And uh, to me, it's it's about a seven because I love I love twist endings. I'm pretty big on that. And the problem is after you see a twist ending and you know it, then the next time you watch it, it's not quite the same.
3: Right, right. Uh,
0: Okay, but anyway, yeah, 7 out of 10. I say buy it for sure because it is a classic.
1: All right, horror movie podcast. This is Greg, or the Gray Man, out of Toledo, Ohio. And I'm just calling to say congratulations and happy anniversary, for three years of podcasting, 101 episodes. Awesome. Keep them coming. You got great listeners out there. I'm
0: glad to be part of the community. All right. All right. All right. All right. So we're going to just kind of start wrapping up 1983. Yes, there's a lot more to be said. We're just going to kind of go down through and hit some of the titles here. Um, just really fast. Cause, uh, it's like, um, you know, it's about time for the East coasters to get up pretty soon. <laughs> we're in <laughs> we're <laughs> a serious business. So, um, uh, gray imp wrote in and had night of the demon on here, even though it came out in like 1983 as when it was made, but he said he counts it as being released in, since it was released in 83. Um, anyways, he said that it's a Bigfoot thing slashes dumb hikers in the woods super low budget and the original sleeping bag bash kill. Nice. So that's great. Oh. Graham says that. Um, and in scalps. It, guys, is this a, did you see this? Is this a whole, uh, slasher?
2: I did. I, I saw it listed as one and the poster for that one looks pretty cool too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. don't recall this movie at all. Yeah. Cause it sounds like an evil spirit possession movie. But it does start killing, so maybe it's a slasher in that it possesses people and makes them start killing others. So maybe that's the angle they're going from. And then you got a Bava film called *A Blade in the Dark*. Josh mentioned it earlier. hmm <clears throat> that's-, that's
1: a that's a must-see for me. It's yes, it's a you know pretty interesting giallo. It's it's weird. It you know the according to the filmmakers basically the writer wanted to do another draft and the director said, we're good. And so, no. um, you know, <laughs> we're good. They, didn't, they didn't go too much, dig too much further into completely making the movie a little bit better than it could be. But it's also has some kind of disturbing elements. Um, interestingly, maybe you know, trans related, but also, um, when I talked about the New York Ripper, like the voice of the killer in this movie, we don't hear it much. It's mostly just some giggling here and there, but, it's really disturbing. And I also think the uh, the dubbing is so bad on the copy that I watch, um mm-hmm. the Blu-ray that I've got that it it just adds another level of creepiness to it for me. I
3: agree. I agree. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. And oh. then what about American Nightmare from eighty three? Sounds uh, uh, kind of interesting. That's one no, people.
2: Can- I, I haven't seen- it. I know that's another one Scorpion put out. I think part of that, the uh, Canterina's Nightmare Theater.
0: Yeah, and then you got a Charles Bronson film called 10 to Midnight. So That's interesting <laughs> to have Charles Bronson in one of these, right?
3: Yeah, yeah man, Chuck Norris. What the heck?
0: I know, right? <laughs> that's pretty cool. And then you got uh, Revenge of the Boogeyman or Boogeyman, Boogeyman 2, Two. some people call it. That's right. And then you got uh, a Swedish horror flick called... Blodarin? How do you say that, Josh? Blodarin? uh I don't I don't know, but <laughs> Blodoren, yeah, the it's the bleeder,
1: I believe is the name of the killer essentially in this film, but okay. yeah, it's these young ladies on tour a rock group and they get stranded and this guy decides he's going to take them all out, but I like the premise. I haven't seen the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. And then there's a TV movie called Deadly Lessons. Get a psycho stalking students. You got one mm-hmm. called Disconnected. So uh, two mm-hmm. sisters are implicated in a series of slasher murders.
1: Deadly Lessons is also known as High School Killer, by the way.
0: Okay. Then you got Double Exposure, a photographer for a men's magazine. Has a recurring dream that he's killing his models by various gruesome means. You got... It
1: sounds a little bit like The Eyes of Laura Mars. Mm, I, have, yes. I haven't seen this one, but I'm interested in checking it out.
0: Yeah. Then you've got the last night two psychos escape from prison. They sneak in the back door of a theater during the performance of a play called Murder in the Dark. Sounds a little on the nose, <laughs> but and then you got one from Spain called Panic Beats. I don't even know. This is I don't even know if this is. I guess it's a spirit of the, a knight that returns every hundred years, and he's kind of like a slasher killer is my impression i get and then finally last but not least on my list is skullduggery which Hmm. which, skullduggery yes skullduggery (laughs) um and so it's a guy named adam goes on a killing spree so anyways 1983 there you have it
1: nice i've got a couple more i don't know if i i really apologize if you guys said the more did you say disconnected yes ghost dance
0: haven't said that one
1: Hanging Heart, mm-hmm. Innocent Prey, oh, no. uh, Mad Mutilator, aka Org-Grof, Ogrof, aka Blood Zone, hmm. um, Nightmare of Sh- at Shadow Woods, uh, know Scalps. Those. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. That one already? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I had here that I think is actually a 1980 film after I looked it up and I don't know how it got on this list, but we didn't mention it in 1980 is uh Terror on tour, a Mm. rock band called The Clowns, come under suspicion of murder when several prostitutes are killed by individuals made up like members of the band. Nice. That sounds cool. Very cool. Very interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's all I got. All right.
3: I've I've also got, have we mentioned 10 to Midnight?
0: Yes. Charles Bronson, Uh right?
3: Oh, yeah. You you did mention Uh that. Soul Survivor.
0: No, I don't have that Uh one.
3: And City of Blood. Nice. Okay. So there's some mentions. (laughs) I don't know them, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Did we mention Nightmares?
3: Ooh, I don't think so. That's um, a bigger um, one. Yeah, that was... um,
1: It's an anthology film, though.
3: Yeah. Oh, God, I can't remember who directed it. Yeah, but I know what you're talking about.
1: Joseph Sargent. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yes.
0: Nightmares. Okay, yeah.
1: Apparently there's a slasher somewhere in that one. (laughs) moon <laughs> so, uh-huh. zappas in it so and, and
0: in, and in <laughs> fact
1: leaving yeah. e and Amelia West
0: yeah Night- really? they recently uh, reviewed nightmares on our anthology episode right we had one of our guests come on and talk about it
1: oh that's right yeah that's right, yep.
0: Yeah, yep. That's right. I that's knew that right. sounded familiar <laughs> Yeah. cool okay well um. so at this point what we're going to do is we're going to let uh Greg Amortis and Dr. Shock get the bed because it's way way <laughs> early in the morning for them so uh that we thank them for being here now dr shuck um i i'm so sorry that you're going to be so tired at work but the listeners love you for it though um no problem greg amortis thank you for being here and for uh putting up with me in particular and just for being on the podcast we're so grateful to have you and let listeners know where they can find you and your show
3: oh thank you so much last and fans. Honestly, listeners, let me tell you, Jay and Josh and them do such a great job. And of course, Doc, but I've had Skype issues tonight, and they've dealt with me tonight. So they've been having to deal with my pain tonight. <laughs> so uh, I do apologize, Josh, because I mean, Jason, because I know it's going to be some hard times editing, and I apologize. But uh, you can follow us at <laughs> landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. Uh, we got our new episode coming out, which will be our Halloween episode, which will release on Halloween. I don't know exactly when this episode is coming out, so I'm not going to say what we're reviewing, uh, <laughs> but it's going to be three little scary flicks. I think you'll enjoy. But, and then of course my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all them good news. You can email me, uh, Greg and Mortis six, six, six at gmail.com. And I do want to say Jay, since being on the episode last week mm-hmm. or whenever it released, I've been getting a lot of friend requests on Facebook from individuals, and I want to say thank you so much. I mean, um, so, yeah, welcome to all the new people that's hitting me up, man. What's up? Had two today, actually three today, and uh, (laughs) I added them, so awesome, awesome.
0: That's wonderful. Nice. Well, thank you. And if I'm not mistaken, Greg Amortis, you've actually agreed to subject yourself to uh, at least one more of these, right? Because you're going to get through the 80s with us. Is that true? Um,
3: (laughs) As long as you'll have me, I'll be on for the 80s, brother.
0: Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much. We're grateful to have you. And and what about you, Dr. Shark? Where can people find you?
3: Uh,
2: You can find me at dvdinfatuation.com. I'm still going strong, getting towards the end of the 31 days of horror now. Um, you can find me on Twitter at DVD Infatuation. You can have, uh, find me on Facebook also. I have a Facebook page. And over on Land of the Creeps. You can uh, listen to uh, I will be part of that Halloween episode as well.
0: Wonderful. All right, anyway, well, You guys have a good night. It was great having you. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you. But All right guys, have a good
0: one. Take care. <laughs> All right, it was great to have Greg Amortis and Dr. Shock with us. Wolfman Josh, it's just you and me the, yeah. guy, the guys in the mountain time zone in Utah, Woo. and it's still like uh 12:30 for us, so
1: I'm so tired.
0: I know. I, I am t- I am too. Well, I tell you what. I actually um I saw The Shining today in the theater. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible to see that on the big screen. I just thought I'd shout that out. I'll also say yesterday I saw Ouija Origin of Evil and for the average person, we'll we'll feature review it eventually, but for the average person who's not necessarily a horror fan, but they want to go to the theater and see something that'll freak them out. For Halloween, okay, that'll be fine, they could go see it. But for you horror fans, I'm talking about the people out there who are dead serious about horror movies, it's okay, but it's mostly more of the same. Um, we'll talk about it later. This is not a, a the it's a red box to me, but anyway,
1: Shanny said it was dreadful, <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, and and I thought there were things to appreciate about it, so I don't want to be totally dismissive, yeah, but um, so because I'm trying not to be that guy. Just totally dismissive. Yeah. And and so it has some admirable things, but mostly it's a lot of what we've seen before. And yeah, stop making Ouija board movies. Thank you. Okay, uh, so yeah. let's move into <laughs> Slasher Madness round two. Yes. Uh, these are the results. And uh, Wolfman, Josh, we're going to see how much your finger is on the pulse <laughs> for everybody. Okay, since, okay. Since this is Halloween and everything. So who won between... My Bloody Valentine and Friday the 13th Part 2.
1: Okay. I'm tempted to say My Bloody Valentine, but I feel like Friday the 13th Part 2 is a classic, so it had to have won in this case.
0: Yes, you are correct. Friday the 13th Part 2 did win, but Kagan noted that until today, Mm -hmm. when we're reading these results, he said My Bloody Valentine was beating Friday the 13th Part 2 the entire time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, here's the thing: Friday the Thirteenth Part Two is probably the better film. But as far as like a special, quote unquote, just you, just a really neat slasher, My Bloody Valentine is one of the best.
1: Yeah, I'm with
0: you. Yeah. So okay. So Halloween Four versus April Fool's Day.
1: It's got to be Halloween Four.
0: Correct. Prom Night versus Slumber Party Massacre.
1: I personally love Prom Night, but I have to guess Slumber Party Massacre.
0: Well, you were right with what you loved because Prom Night won by a major margin.
1: Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it,
0: okay. it won by far. Now, this I knew this was going to happen, and it really upsets me. Okay, and I'm probably going to make some enemies right here. So, you got The Prowler versus A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, clearly... A nightmare on Elm Street is
1: one of the most classic horror films of all time. Having said that, we're talking about 80 slashers. The Prowler is maybe the best example of an 80 slasher if I had to pick one. So I am gonna go with the Prowler, and I hope our audience is as smart as I am. Let's hear it. (laughs) This is
0: this is the widest spread. A nightmare on Elm Street with seventy-five percent one. The Prowler, twenty five percent, and here's why, Wolfman Josh. I'm looking cool. at I'm looking at the audience with my eyes a little bit narrowed and a little bit judgmental. And a l- no, I won't say condescending. They're all smarter than I am, but I I will say <laughs> I, I will say to the audience, this is strictly because I bet you most of the audience hasn't gotten around to seeing the Prowler. Um, maybe the, I, because a lot of people haven't seen the Prowler. It's a lesser, really? yeah. It's like a It's like a second tier, not in quality, but just in awareness. It's a second or
1: anything that's not in one of the big franchises is kind of a second tier, right? But honestly, I think this is the top tier of 80 slashers. And yes, I think, um, of that second tier, I think it's easily one of the best. I would have thought it was the best known, but maybe not. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not in touch with our audience, but. Guys, I mean, I have even have a problem calling The Nightmare on Elm Street a slasher in the first place, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so this frustrates me greatly, but you know, I can accept it because, look, it's hard to argue with such a classic piece of cinema as The Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: Yeah, and I understand why they picked it. I'm not just saying it was just because they were familiar with it, but um, still, people, more people need to see The Prowler. That's all I'm saying there. So, okay. Slaughter High versus Sleepaway Camp Two.
1: Now this is a problem for me. <laughs> the, like these, neither of these movies should be in the contest anymore at this point. And it's like that's the problem with these brackets—not Kagan's brackets, but just brackets in general—is you know these aren't necessarily two great films. They're both interesting films, but compare that to the last two we just talked about, right? Either of them would have blown these two out of the water, yeah. And so it's frustrating to lose the Prowler and still have a slaughter high in the mix or whatever.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But,
1: you know, I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna guess Sleepaway Camp 2 because it's a franchise. It's a well-known property. It is a good movie. That's correct. Um, that's-
0: yeah, you nailed it. You got it, Sleepaway Camp 2. And yeah, I just want to reiterate what Josh said. Obviously, we're not griping at Kagan. We're just griping because the prowler is have been eliminated. (laughs) That's why I'm griping. Anyway,
1: I mean, listen, we're slasher fans like Greg Mortis. Did you have to argue about them? That's kind of the point.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's right. Okay. So now we got the burning versus Friday, the 13th part Four, the final. Can I
1: just reiterate what I just said? These two movies, it saddens me that these two movies are going up against one another Because we're talking about two of the greatest slashers ever made. Yeah. And this shouldn't be we shouldn't be hitting this kind of hard competition until the final round is the way I feel about it.
0: You Uh, know? Yeah.
1: Look, my pick is the burning, because it's a standalone film. It doesn't rely on the breadth of an entire series and fandom and all this other stuff that Friday the thirteenth has going for it. Having said that, Friday the thirteenth part four is one of the best slashers. It's um, one of my very favorites of the entire franchise, and I am sure that it must have destroyed the burning in the landslide.
0: Um, yeah, it did. Friday the 13th, part four, beat out the burning, so now the burning is out. Uh, now, now this next one makes me want to use profanity. Okay, it's uh, Pieces versus Silent Night, Deadly Night.
1: Well, I know that you're a big fan of Silent Night, Deadly Night, um, but you also put heaped a lot of praise on
0: Pieces earlier this evening, this well, very evening. I love Pieces. To Pieces. I love it, to, love pieces. it to Pieces. Yes, I Pieces? Yes, I do. Yes,
1: I do. Um, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know which one you like more, to be honest. Um,
0: what do you think the listeners voted?
1: Well, I think Silent Night, Deadly Night has got to be the more known title, it but is. I'm not sure.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Pieces is just like the Prowler in that way where it's much lesser known, but needs to be seen everybody. But yes, Silent Night, Deadly Night one. And that is a travesty. I'm just saying.
1: I don't know. I mean, Pieces is a bit much for me. That's just my own personal taste. It's a it's so gruesome. It's so gruesome.
0: Exactly. And that's why I love it. And I think a lot of the audience will love it, too. But I see why you're saying, Josh, if that's not your cup of tea,
1: but, it, it's 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 beyond my line. I'm I'm going to be honest. Okay. Like, and I talked about the New York Ripper, but to be honest, that one's close. That's right there on my line as well. Like those are yeah, those are movies that are like okay, uh, you know.
0: Well, pieces. I mean, when you're watching it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Like the waterbed stabbing mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. makes you feel like I shouldn't be seeing this. This looks absolutely real. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But anyways, okay. So this next one, Kagan left a little note. He says. Okay, the matchup, just so you know, the matchup is Friday the 13th, the original, versus Halloween 2, and um, this was the closest match, okay, and really? and he says, Jay, you have to read those percentages on air so Greg Amortis doesn't get um, too upset <laughs> at the HMP listeners for eliminating Halloween 2, that's right, Friday the 13th, the original one. Um
1: it's hard to argue with that to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's the original, but I still can't believe that Halloween 2 got that close to the original of Friday the 13th. That well, makes
1: a me- lot of people love Halloween 2. It's it kicked me up too. the gore level. Mm-hmm. It's got your Michael Myers. You know, I know you love the first Friday the 13th and as well you should, it's a classic film, but it doesn't have Jason in the hockey mask and that's why I think what a lot of people most appreciate about the Friday the 13th series. And so Mm -hmm. it's difficult, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good matchup
0: actually. Yeah. Those two. It really is. And, and you know, because obviously I think if people as evidenced tonight here, I mean, you can look at these, these results. If P if you did a Halloween, the original Halloween versus Friday the 13th part two, there, it'd be a landslide difference. I think I'm guessing, but
1: that's a, that's a great point.
0: I'm, I'm I'm just curious So anyway That is Those are the results Of round two And for round three The matches are Friday the 13th part two Versus Halloween four And then you got Prom night Versus a nightmare On Elm street And then you've got Sleep away camp two Versus Friday the 13th part four no break <laughs> And then you've got Silent Night, Deadly Night versus Friday the Thirteenth. I could tell you the results of those right now. I think, but <laughs> but anyways, yeah, we'll see in the next episode. Well, the
1: first one's the first one's hard. I think. I think that's gonna be very tight.
0: Yeah, that one will be close, but the rest of them are pretty clear. I think. Um, so, just so the listeners are aware, this was our Halloween episode. And we did weekly recordings and weekly releases in October. And now we're going to be going back to our bi-weekly schedule. <laughs> Thank goodness this is killing me. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but um, so, you know, this comes out on October 28th ish. Okay. And so that means you can look for our next episode on November 11th. We're going to have Greg Amortis back, and we're aiming, I don't know, I mean, the way things go with us, Josh, I mean, yeah. we're, we, we would like to do 1984 through 1989, but honestly, I don't know if we'll be able to get that far. We'll see if we can get it all wrapped up in the next episode. But that'll it's going it. to be tough. It will be tough.
1: 84 is a big year. Huge. I mean, it's the biggest, maybe. It definitely tied in with 81, uh, if anything.
0: Yeah, it's got a ton. And um, so we'll we'll just see what we can do. I mean, yeah, the the slasher releases do kind of taper off as the 80s progress, but you know, there's still good stuff to talk about. And that's what we'll be doing on the November 11th release. And that's, uh, I believe episode one Oh three, Greg Amortis will be back with us again, but we want to make sure that everybody um, lets us know, you know, in the show notes, what your thoughts are, what your comments are. And please feel free to email me like the other listeners have been doing at horror movie podcast at gmail.com. Now, Josh, for weeks now, we've been talking about, We've got so many contests that we're going to be wrapping up here. Oh, my
1: gosh. There's so many.
0: (laughs) There's a there's a green room uh, Blu-ray giveaway, which we're going to be announcing. Uh, There is the Dead Serious Horror Challenge, which we're going to be talking about. That's Uh, true. um, You had teased maybe giving away Dress the Kill free DVD. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's true maybe there i've got a few double Dvds that I, I i'm willing to dip in and and see what you know that's just kind of a that's more of a like a throw it out to the audience kind of okay. <laughs> t-shirt gun kind of a prize <laughs>
0: right right and then you got a monster squad pin that you're talking about giving away oh it's
1: so cool yeah it's a little little red t-shirt pin with the Stephen king rolls on it
0: and then we have several incredible posters and and just so i hope the audience isn't mad um we still have some of those coming in in the mail so it feels like josh it would be unfair to be doing the drawings right Mm -hmm. now without having the prizes to do that so so we're gonna make everybody mad and tell you we're gonna be announcing winners we hope we plan on the next episode (laughs)
1: well listen this is a great opportunity for those of you who have not entered these contests there's still time sorry for everyone who's been on their game and has entered the contest but go back i don't know uh, what the contest rules for these are laid out over the last maybe five episodes or six episodes or so right because there have been so many giveaways go back and give those a listen you'll hear usually like right now toward the very end of the episode us talking about the giveaways that we have coming up and um we're going to have a lot to give away.
0: I know, I can't even it's crazy. We're going to have yeah. to scale back these giveaways.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so so many cool prizes. Listen, we love our listeners and I'm happy that we can give a little something
0: back. Me too. And and you know, the truth of the matter is that the much of it is contributed from other list other talented listeners themselves. That's true. Who are, true. you know, contributing their artwork and various masterpieces. Like that. So, anyways, I think that just about wraps up episode 102 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening. You can join us again in two weeks for episode 103, and we'll pick up with 1984 and the slashers. But in the meantime, Wolfman Josh, where can the listeners find more of you on the internet?
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Icarus Arts. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under the same name. You can also check out my other podcast, MovieStreamcast.com. Also on uh, Twitter and Facebook at MovieStreamcast. That is a podcast where we do short reviews of streaming content. And throughout the month of October, I did weekly releases of spooky movies that wouldn't necessarily make it on or a movie podcast. I did it with my kids a lot just because. You know how it is with these weekly releases. It, it gets crazy, and I didn't have time to get with all my other co-hosts very often, so
4: mm-hmm.
1: I ended up doing a bunch with my kids, which was a lot of fun. We did Teen Wolf and Beetlejuice and The Haunted Mansion, and it was a lot of fun. So check those out, and I also appeared on Retro Movie Geek Podcast to review The Frighteners on their latest episode. Uh, I love those guys. It was a lot of fun to talk to Peter, who's a, who's a listener of this show, and a longtime friend of the show, as well as Joel, who's also a, I think, a more recent listener to our show, but definitely a longtime friend to everybody.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, uh, last but not least, I appeared on the Sci Fi podcast where we talked about the new phantasm movie, Ravager. And the episode before that, we did like a live <laughs> from. Inside a virtual reality place called the Void, as we experienced the Ghostbusters VR hyper reality experience, where we actually strapped on proton packs and went and shot up the Stay of Marshmallow Man and had just a blast doing that. So check all of that
0: out. <laughs> all right, that sounds great. And Josh, this just ends, so I'm sorry. This will be the last thing here. Um, Mm -hmm. right before we started recording apparently uh, Chris emailed us and got this in right before the buzzer technically so I'm going to read it because he he sent in his top 10 slashers of 1982 and 83 and Chris forgive me I I won't be reading your descriptions but if you don't mind I will put them I will post your list and their descriptions in the, the show notes or in the comments one or the other if you don't mind Chris instead of reading because my my jaw is actually starting to lock up I'm not even joking right now (laughs) (laughs) I need to get a tetanus shot or something but but anyway I will read down through his list starting with his honorable mention the New York Ripper and then number 10 sweet 16 number 9 visiting hours number 8 pieces number 7 Sleepaway camp number 6 Slumber Party Massacre. Wow. Number five, The House on Sorority Row. There we go. Number four, Psycho Two, and number three, Tenabra or Tenebra However the hell you say that, <laughs> Chris. Tell me how to say that so I can not butcher it every time.
1: A lot Italian listeners, please call it. Or is it Spanish? I don't even
0: know. Okay. It's Argento. So that's. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, okay. And then number two is Alone in the Dark
1: really wow interesting
0: that's two that's two people now Bill as well was sending out the love to that one
1: it's a bizarre it's a bizarre movie yeah definitely worth watching
0: he says it's part slasher part siege narrative that's all I need to know and then the number one pick for Chris and his top ten slashers of 1982 and 83 is Friday the 13th part three three there wow you right there
1: with Greg one of the worst movies ever made awesome.
0: no it isn't he says <laughs> he says something really funny I gotta read it he says remind me never to practice my handstands around an inventive serial killer <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant Chris
1: that movie has the worst dialogue writing and structural writing of maybe any movie ever
0: made come on it's Josh so, come on so written. such a bully <laughs> anyways <laughs>
1: Lastly, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Kagan for organizing the Slasher Madness thing. It's a big pain, and uh, I really appreciate, and we all appreciate him doing that because it's it's a lot of fun, despite it just driving all of us crazy that our favorite movies aren't going to win. It's it's a fun little thing to do. I was thinking we should do this every year. Like we should do some kind of a you know, horror movie podcast bracket every year and make Kagan do all the work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, that sounds great. I love that idea. Thank you, Kagan. If the listeners knew, you know, he puts a lot of effort and time into it, and we really appreciate him. And I would love it if you'd come over and check out the sister show to this. It's called Movie Podcast Weekly. It is a weekly show where we review the new movies that are in theaters. That comes out once a week at MoviePodcastWeekly.com. We love your comments, so get involved in this Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes or email me at HorrorMoviePodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes, including the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis at our website, HorrorMoviePodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes. You can also leave us a review there and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Frederick Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. And I want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his enhancement of the intro to the theme song that's beautiful work there you can find more of fred's music at frederick and more of kagan's music at kaganbreitenbach.com and i think that's it for episode 102 happy halloween we thank you for listening and you can join us again in two weeks for horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about slasher movies